0: All right, I got something. All right, uh, welcome to the Raleigh Bitcoin Meetup. I heard a podcast today where some guy apparently hated leaves growing on trees. Um, he said that you know, if money grew on trees, then they would just be a nuisance because this person obviously hated leaves. Um, maybe that's why he's having problem convincing traditional finance people. to <laughs> listening to his podcast (laughs) (laughs) oh god
1: no see i don't hate leaves leaves are great (laughs) leaves are great when they're on the tree when they're in my yard that's when i hate leaves i hate leaves all over my yard but yeah regardless whether they were on the tree or in my yard or in my wallet it would make really really bad money
2: (laughs) yeah that (laughs) that was something that you said back at a meetup like a year ago or something and i'd never heard it you know, said that way that like, you know, money doesn't grow on trees, but if it did, it'd be just as valuable as a leaf. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I've never heard it said that way, but it makes a lot of sense. And it's a really good point that yeah. a lot of people probably just gloss over and don't think about, but it's really profound. The, sa- the exact
1: same reason, the opposite truth of the fact that money doesn't grow on trees is the truth that we would never use leaves as money <laughs>
2: yeah funny. Right.
3: so uh, like how how is the confronting the finance people going like are going you going to mute real quick sorry are you going to mute i was going to ask guy a question i messed that up
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs>
5: no he can still hear you go ahead can I, can, I, can you. I can still hear you
3: Oh, well, how, how is the interacting with the finance people going? Like, are they, are they openly dismissive of you? Do they, are they kind of like just kind of feigning interest, but they clearly aren't going to actually invest or care. They just know that it has like some, you know, internet interest in it or like what, what kind of reaction are you getting at, at, in 2020 right now?
1: It's a range. Um, I think, uh, and, and you know, part of it is probably my perspective. Like I feel like, you know, like confidence and like, you know, kind of being confident in your position. I feel like I'm talking up when I like reach out to these people, so like probably part of it is in my language, um, which I'm, I'm working on. But um, I, the general sentiment is actually a pretty big range. There are a couple of people who are really interested in Bitcoin. Um, I think most people are just indifferent and don't think like that are doing these podcasts, just don't think that this has anything to do with them or that it's like, they see it as like this kind of like silly app or something. Probably they're, they're probably just dismissive. Um, but there are a, there are more people than I thought, um, not like a huge portion, but that are just outright like, yeah, no, I'm not interested in that shit. Please go away. And and that that did surprise wow. me a little bit. I thought after two thousand and seventeen, uh, despite the fact that it came away with a little bit of a, um, you know, bad connotation, at least most of them would take it seriously. You know what I mean? Like particularly, and you know, we have two years of a a bear market where, in reality, it's just kind of stayed stable. Like, it was how many years now have we watched it go up and down through nine thousand? Um, and where are we? We're at. <laughs> We're right at 9,000 again. Like it's been pretty damn stable to a general,
5: a general sense. You no, know, I'm really surprised to hear you say that you feel like you're talking up to them. Uh, like but the, the, the simple explanation for that statement. I that can be statement. insecure. No, but, but <laughs> <just keep laughs> out for a second, just hear me out. Considering okay. how little everyone knows about finance and the economy, and how no one actually knows how that shit works and how overly confident they are about their understanding of it and how much you know about Bitcoin. I mean, there is a complete discrepancy of parity there, but you are <laughs> so much more equipped to have a conversation about Bitcoin than they are and about the economy. I mean, like, I, I, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm kind of surprised to hear you say that.
3: Yeah, I agree with Jared. Think about it this way. These people don't actually give a shit. They don't actually try. This is just their job. There's no passion behind it. They're just going through the road acts. The road acts that are very minimal that involves with finance. I mean, you've got a portfolio of 50 stocks. You're maybe following. Think about what they're actually doing. They're just trying to make as much money with as least work as possible. They don't care about the subject they're pretending to care about. They just know this. Like, you should really, you've actually studied the economy. To understand Bitcoin, you have to understand money better than anybody else. Nobody understands money better than us because nobody else is willing to think nobody about cares. It. Nobody cares. Will- nobody willing to, what, whatever the Fed said today is the new truth about, about money. That's what fiat money is. Whatever they say is true. You know, there's no reason to think for yourself.
1: Here's the big thing that, which is kind of alluding to the barrier I was talking about earlier, how finance people are probably going to be the last to get it. The the ones who know more about the stock market and about, you know, Forex markets and all of this stuff are actually not going to get Bitcoin worse than most of the normies. And I think that's because... We constantly we confuse money with budgets, profits and earnings, um, stock market valuations. Uh, you know your profits and loss. Like 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 we think of we think that's money. That is not money at all. That's accounting. Yeah, that is finance. That has absolutely nothing to do with money. No matter what money you use, that applies. But that the meaning of all of that changes fundamentally, depending on which money you use. So like money is a completely different good. It genuinely has nothing to do with finance. Really, outside of like an application of money, like, like a project or something like that, you don't need finance. It's like gold doesn't work because of finance. You know, like it doesn't have a profit to earnings ratio. It doesn't have any of that shit. It's got nothing to do with it. Money is a completely separate industry from finance. And I think that's that's a huge barrier yeah. for i most. think
0: this is this is the problem with you talking to the finance podcasters is you have to avoid yeah. talk, talking down to them like you were just <laughs> doing, you know like imagine if you were talking to them like that like that's the conversation <laughs> that's <laughs> really going on about
2: money that's <laughs> yeah <the problem. laughs>
0: like that's what you really want to say to them, and you just can't say that, and so you're just you're stuck <laughs> like what
2: else to say <laughs> uh this is uh the topic of you know. Something being money or an accounting system and that kind of thing, it, it it touches on a topic that me and my brother always argue about because he he sees Bitcoin um, like an investment, like something that should produce cash flows or produce a yield. Um, and we always go back and forth on you know if you just hold Bitcoin, you know, it doesn't produce anything. So he sees that as as not a good thing and some and one reason why he you know dings Bitcoin for it, but my response to him is like, there's a lot of things that don't actually produce anything unless you incorporate an aspect of banking so the example is like uh like farmland you know people always say, "Oh yeah, if you own a bunch of farmland, you know you can." you can grow crops on that or you can do other things or hire a farmer to farm it for you. It's like, yeah, the reason that land is producing something for you in that case is because you're loaning it to the, to the farmer and the yield is the crops, you know? So like it's depleting the value of the land when you loan it to the farmer. And the, the fact that you're loaning your asset is a banking transaction. You know, that's a finance transaction. That's not, farmland doesn't produce anything unless you do something with it you know I don't know if that ties into the previous concept but like people expect Bitcoin to you know to produce a yield or something but I think that's misconstruing what a money is you know the reason the money in your bank account earns yield is because the bank is lending it to people and you know, engaging in banking activities.
3: But but the money in your bank account doesn't earn a yield because there's no productive activity happening in the economy. So asset prices should actually be moving downwards. Rather, holding holding money should actually make you wealthier over time because everything should be going down. Because the reality is, you think you're helping the productive economy by investing in the stock market? But the stock market hasn't actually done anything productive since 2009. It's just been buying back its own stock. If it hadn't been buying back its own stock, which it just defaulted on this strategy, the whole reason we're having a, a bond crisis because they defaulted on buying back their own stock. If they hadn't done that, stock prices would have fallen. Just holding on to dollars would have more money than investing in the stock market. The whole Ponzi scheme happening right now is that dollars have become absolutely worthless. Why should I care about a company's ability to generate dollars when the Fed can just print dollars whenever they want? They're no longer part of the productive economy. They're part of a nonsense game. And, like, Bitcoin is starting the real economy over here in the meantime.
1: Yeah, the um, – Daniel – or – yeah, you're 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 Dan on this. One. Yeah, you're you. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're you. Uh, just gotta check. You never know. Um, <laughs> but uh, I I liked your analogy was that um, uh, that you know like it's it is the tool or the resource that enables something else. Like land isn't productive the land is what allows you to create the productive activity or produce the actual um food to actually grow food you know like in the process of growing food you literally can't do it without land without like soil of some sort that you grow it in um and in that same way like finance and accounting is like you know all the different ways that you can use a hammer like you know, I could be really good at hammering nails and like, you know, pull a nail out There's a bunch of different ways you can use it. a great, great, great tool for a lot of, a lot of uh, busting things up and hammering nails and putting things together. But that doesn't mean I know Jack about how to smelt, <laughs> like how to like produce Ooh, nice. about the metallurgy of about yeah. 90, uh, nice and Dying like all of those, all of those fundamental um, pieces of actually making a hammer that makes one metal brittle or like how to cook it like to make you know brittle metal versus like incredibly strong and resilient and stuff that won't corrode and like that kind of thing like none of that has anything to do with the application of the hammer that's that's the that's way more fundamental and i can be the best guy in construction on the planet but i don't it doesn't mean i know jack about how to build about how to manufacture a hammer you
2: know yeah and it's that it's a it's like a conceptual difference in investing and savings. People don't know the difference between saving money and investing money, because the money that they're using, you know, it, I, I consider holding Bitcoin and like buying Bitcoin saving, not investing.
0: Yeah, I've always I've struggled with that. Exactly what you were talking about. I remember when I was in England four years ago trying to talk to this guy about Bitcoin. He could not get into it because it didn't pay out a dividend, and his whole theory of investing was based on things that pay out dividends. And I understand the cash flow sense of that. Like you want to invest in something that has some kind of positive cash flow because that means it's producing something that's useful for society, and you want to like you know, provide capital to that enterprise or whatever. But I never saw investing in stocks like that. I just wanted to pick the right stock that, that wanted to go up. And I don't, I don't know if that's kind of like an immature or a novice way to think about investing in the stock market or if that's just the new way, because I don't think anybody cares about dividends anymore. Um, Yeah, I think you're right. And then also the other thing that complicates this is the new asset versus old asset. Like if it's an old asset, like it's gold, if you, if you like save your money in gold, then I I see that clearly as savings versus investing. But what about a brand new monetary asset in the process of monetization? That's at least got to be speculation. You know, so right to not call that speculation is weird. So I mean, you, you can't call speculation the same thing as savings. I mean, you can't really call right. speculation the same thing as investing either. So yeah, I don't know. It, am I am I just completely confused on this issue?
2: No, I think you're right. And it's probably it's it's probably not one exclusive. You know, it's not exclusively one or the other of those. Yeah, I will. The the thing with the speculation, like. Is is it speculative like can it go to zero? Yes. You know, it's like I'm not making the case that it's not you know speculation or speculative asset. So Yeah.
0: Definitely not going to zero.
3: I realized something in this discussion, which I I wonder if you guys had all realized before. Did you realize that Binance is finance with a B? (laughs) Yeah. No,
2: I've never I never noticed that.
0: I will admit it took me a while. I felt bad for how long it took me to get that too, but yeah, I got. I just got
2: that right now. Are you serious? I've never
0: thought about that. that. Yeah, yeah,
2: (laughs) yeah. That took me a while too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. Um, Some sometime we don't have to do it right now, but sometime on the pod tonight. Did any of you guys listen to that that uh, Nixon Gold Standard? Or gold window video that I linked in the notes.
3: I oh, know I need to check that out.
2: I, I just to I, just I, to
1: I, add, I was I was vacuuming, but uh, I can't believe y'all didn't y'all didn't catch that about finance. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh God! I had to reach back, I'm, man. I, I had to, I had to <laughs> reach back like three years ago when I remembered that it took me a long time to figure that out. Actually, it wasn't That's three. That's hilarious. Wait, what was finance like? Two years old now? Man, time goes by so yeah, slowly. That- in Bitcoin. People talk yeah, about Binance how time flies, new. man. Time goes by so slowly in crypto. Yeah.
2: <laughs> the next week until the having is going to be like a month. Yeah.
3: Okay. That's awesome by the way. I think the way time happens in crypto is like it's like seconds on a clock where you're kind of stuck at one second forever and then it clicks to the next one at each happening, and suddenly you move ahead <laughs> but then but that time in between it's like you're right. stuck in, in a time where time's not passing at all.
2: <laughs> oh you know, damn. I mean, I it's not it. a uh, it's not a continuous motion like a nice Swiss watch it's like a Tick mm-hmm. clock.
3: I do. I do prefer tick uh,
2: like, watches. It's a nice feature. Hey, um, while this is like a
0: little off topic, but while we have you Guy, what is your um, sense of all the live stream podcasts that are going to be happening during the happening? Um Do you think it's just going to be chaos? Are you organizing one? You think? You think there's going to be one Zoom with like ten thousand people on it for the. <laughs>
1: Hell yeah. <laughs> um, dude, I had no idea. I was planning on doing, I, I still intend to do one for the Crypto Economy crew, but um, uh, at the same time, I, uh, uh, there's going to be the Bitcoin Magazine one. Uh, I'll, I didn't even think about the fact that uh, the value of Bitcoin Conference is, uh, one of those days is the same day that the, the having is going to happen. That's the 11th and the 12th. And I've got a panel that I'm hosting on that, um, and then also it looks like there are two people who were picked for, um, well, well, two of the people. If I if I read the other one right, I think it was it was like half of it was like broken English, um, but that um, uh, they were picked for the the Bitcoin Magazine Who Wants to Be a Bitcoin Millionaire? Um, that like the little game game show thing they're gonna do for Bitcoin trivia. Um, and they picked me as their lifeline. So like I have to be ready, which, which I'm excited about. This sounds like fun. Um, but that means that I have to be like watching it and ready if they, mm. if they you know call in right. to get, uh, to ask a question. Is this um, Bitcoin
0: trivia or is this Bitcoin like technical questions?
1: Uh, I think it's trivia, but I, I, mean, I mean, I would imagine it's both, you know, okay. you know, like there would be some degree of technical question and, you know, depending on the difficulty, it would be how technical or how specific or something like that. But, I mean, I imagine it's shit like, you know, what's Bitcoin's birthday or when was the Genesis block? What is the yeah. um, uh, first block I've stamped in it? And, you know, increasingly going up from there, that kind of thing.
2: Dude, you're going to ace it. They would I, be lucky I, I, I hope to so, call yeah. a friend.
1: I would be so embarrassed if when they called me for their lifeline... <laughs> It's
4: the only one question I didn't know. was like, oh shit. Ugh. Oh, that'd be
2: a that'd be a tough it's question. Like, it's like okay, 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 okay. how many how many Bitcoin will there ever be? And it's like A twenty one million, B twenty million nine hundred ninety-nine thousand nine hundred and ninety-eight, <laughs> like the actual, you know, number. Yeah. And it's like, oh shit, which one?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just had this vision of a group of us trick-or-treating to different zoom calls on the happening. Like, you know, there's like 10 of us and we just, we all <laughs> dial into this group and then we all dial into that group or something like that. with <laughs> Costumes on. <laughs>
4: uh-huh.
0: There was a good
1: question. There was a good question today, actually, that, uh, uh, who was it that posted it? It's like Friar Hass or something. Maybe. I don't know. Um, uh, but, uh, Asked what when what will be the first block that has a six point two five Bitcoin reward? Will it be uh, block six hundred and thirty thousand or block six hundred and thirty thousand and one?
2: Right,
4: right.
1: do,
2: do you know? I think it's I think it's six thirty because block zero counted, so the the genesis block is block zero. I'm pretty sure that's the reason it's six thirty, not six thirty oh one. I. Yeah, I, don't I haven't
1: know. actually found it for certain yet, but I actually think it's 01 because it's not going by. I looked at the code, but the code is all referencing other parts of the code, you know, like the uh, in right. height and in subsidy and all that stuff. So like even looking at like the little section that uh, I remembered Andreas had posted it like uh, like four or five days ago. So I went looking for it immediately, like crap, what was it? Like, is it the first one? But because it's divided by the block height, zero doesn't really matter because it's not the number of blocks that have passed. It's what is the block height, um, and then it's like a a greater than or equal to. So I think from what I was looking at, I think six hundred block six hundred thirty thousand will still produce twelve point five. But to be perfectly honest, I still don't know. That's just Wait, I, I, uh, hey, what's there's the a, uh, there's an easy way to figure,
0: figure this out, man. Just look at the explorer for the last havening. Well,
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up on a node here. What's check, the, check the, your freaking
1: blockchain, man? I got <laughs> three of them on my computer. What am I doing? Yeah, <laughs>
2: hold on. I'm gonna check this. Yeah, here search in a block height. I gotta find the search right search
1: block height.
0: I'm just going to uh so look at look at the havening at block two ten or block four twenty or block uh yeah
1: Wait. Search for block height 210 000.
0: Yeah.
2: No results found. Okay. Oh, 14. shit.
0: Try 420.
2: Wait, what's the command?
4: I'm search. actually just
0: looking at a block explorer right now.
2: Get... So get block
1: uh coinbase is thirteen for block forty-two four hundred and twenty thousand. So that's twelve twenty-five twelve point five.
4: Yeah.
0: Nope.
1: You were right. You were right, Dan.
2: It's at the zero.
1: It's at the zero.
2: Yeah. That's Please. what I'm saying. That makes me feel better because I think that's a cleaner, you know, yeah, cleaner way it should work. Yeah. Yeah.
1: On a uh, block 210,000, the Coinbase was 38.5 and two
0: zero nine, nine, nine. All right. Well, let, let us know if you, um, you know, can't yeah, idea for the heavening stuff. 50 point five.
1: Dang it. What's funny is I actually guessed that, but then walked it back. So I got it right, even though I thought I was wrong. Nice.
2: See, man, when you're on the game show, you gotta go with your gut. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, just,
2: just go with my gut.
0: All right. I got I've got a topic that will bring us back to uh Bitcoin stuff. Um uh I have a long time, as you guys know, been annoyed by people constantly focusing on the price. You know, remember when I was doing those meetups and I just got so mad when people just wanted to talk about price all the time and not talk about (laughs) fundamental technological stuff. But it just occurred to me today that, you know, the Austrian theory of price of commodities of everything is just this aggregation of information and price is just a language of information of value i finally connected that to the price of bitcoin so it's that the price of bitcoin is important because it's just a reflection of kind of the average person's understanding of bitcoin and yeah Yeah. it's kind of weird because um, it because transmits a lot of knowledge it transmits a lot of knowledge but there's also a shortcoming to that theory in a way because it made me realize that the price is the average, this is the reflection of the average person mm. knowledge who's interested or can put some kind of money in, into it, it's not, it's not really like, if you have something that's math, if you have something that's like Bitcoin, if you have something that's like very objective in nature and some people have taken the time to understand that and some people don't then the price wow. of that thing is still a reflection of the time that the average person has taken to look into it it's not really it's not really um it's not it's not like the the, the aggregate total of everyone's info uh knowledge of something it, i mean it's it, it's, it's so check the, this jimmy it's the time that people You're have not. taken to 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 get knowledge about it
2: yeah and dude i would i would push that to be a little bit slightly variant to to say that it's not the average it's the median medium. like i was i was thinking about me median, mode today just for a number of reasons and it's really funny how in certain situations, the, the average and the median can be way different than one another, you know, because yeah. you've got people that study this crap all day, every day. And that like we would drag the average way up, you know, because mm-hmm. like the the average price that we would consider, you know, selling or stopping to buy at would be way higher than the average person's price. You know,
4: mm-hmm. it's
2: kind of funny that, I don't know if that's a I, I, good thing or bad thing. Well
1: yeah, one thing to keep in mind though is that it's not it's not an average opinion. And it's also like not exactly everyone's like aggregate knowledge per se. It's a skin it's in the game. All thing. of the it's it's a it's a skin, yes, it's a skin in the game thing, but then also it's aggregating information about the economy and about its usefulness about how it can be used like we can all have a really negative view of the internet but still use it for something like still use it for what it makes capable or what it makes possible Mm -hmm. and even someone who invests very skeptically in bitcoin but puts a little bit of money there in for no other reason than their lack of comfort and uncertainty about the legacy system that's communicating information even if they have no no idea what bitcoin is but they're simply looking for any place to not put their money in uh you know in in a a system that's printing three trillion dollars um so like, in that sense, I don't think it's like we have to wait for everybody to understand Bitcoin, is that the market will simply realize due to other like other people's confidence in the market and then the fact that this thing gets scarce over time, mm-hmm. naturally, that reality is going to be exposed in the price, even if people don't get it, because the people that do will create a price floor. And if there's just any sort of consistency in demand, as it continues to get scarce, it, the price just has to rise. Right. You know, like like there's no getting around the fact that less supply will be there, uh, will be entering the market in the future. Um, so if an, a price floor is ever achieved, like if we ever have like a stable like market of people using it, of people who value it, know and understand why it's useful, well then the having, the, the monetary schedule will be, by nature, as long as a whole bunch of people don't leave suddenly, uh, will push the price up. Um, and that, will, that information, uh, that new truth will be conveyed in the market and people who don't know anything about it will end up using it just because price
3: keeps going up, you know? So, so what I do for a living is I look at capital flows. And when, when I think about what's been happening with Bitcoin at the last happening versus this happening, the unique thing that helped Bitcoin last happening or the last run-up after the last happening was that there was a a uh, there was a buying pressure on the price of Bitcoin, sending it upwards, because people were investing Bitcoin in other cryptocurrency projects. They were put there was a pressure to take your Bitcoin and give it to an altcoin developer. And that made Bitcoin scarce at that time in addition to just the buying demand for retail investors who are long on Bitcoin. That it had a use case as the way to invest in this. There was a demand for it there. There's not a secondary demand for Bitcoin right now. It's really just long only retail investors, barely any um, institutional interest, as much as they want to kind of hype it up, there's barely any institutional interest. and it you really is. barely any
0: institutional interest in Bitcoin right now?
3: As someone who looks at how much money institutions have, yes.
0: You mean in altcoins or in, in all of Bitcoin? The whole, the whole thing?
3: When I look at the wealth of the world, no one is investing in Bitcoin. Yeah. You sure. know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Which is great. Um, I think it's the. Uh,
1: yes. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how early it is. Thank God. We're for right now. Yeah. Um, but uh, the what was pressure The pressure is point? going
3: to come now.
4: Papa
1: so the,
3: the point was there was a secondary buying pressure on, on the supply of Bitcoin back oh. during the last run-up that all coins were absorbing Bitcoin to fund themselves and that people were buying Bitcoin to invest in all coins. Whereas this next run-up, it's only Bitcoin alone and we're basically going to catch up to 20000 In a couple, I think more like six months from now, because the supply has cut in half. So it's not that retail investor demand has gone up that much, but the supply's cut in half. And once that supply cut in half, it makes up for the lack of altcoin demand that got us to the peaks we got to last time. As the altcoins were also
5: chasing after bitcoin i'm concerned that people are going to continue to to feel that pressure to get into altcoins when bitcoin rises again simply because of this, this goddamn integer bias i ran into that again um with a banker that us this week he had the Dude. hardest fucking time comprehending it and he, i mean this guy's got a got at least a bachelor's he didn't appear to be a complete dumbass um he seemed like a really nice guy but it just could not wrap his head around the fact that a bitcoin was a whatever, and I, I told him two or three times. He's like, "Well, I just don't have that kind of money put into it."
1: How do you how do how do you explain it?
5: Out yeah, I mean, um, yeah, actually, actually got a kind of a funny story, and I, I feel like if I tell it now, I'm gonna blow my load too early for you guys. Too but- early. <laughs> oh, <laughs> do you know, too dude, later. No, oh, we're in the. <laughs> We're, we're getting in in the,
2: deep here. We got to keep the listeners on. Yeah, we're, we're in, in the, the heart throes of, of
5: passion here. Okay, well, um, <laughs> I uh, this, this guy came into our office for the purposes of of getting us to sign some paperwork to get our line of credit um, finalized. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty pretty jacked about how easy it was. And just basically, the guy needed to come and get my John Hancock. Um, while he was there, I have an exchanged an emails with him. New guy, never met him before, but um. You know, he seemed like a really down-to-earth guy. Started talking about Bitcoin, like I usually do. And uh, he was kind of intrigued, but kept saying, oh, that's too much, that's too much. And when it got to the time for me to sign that last page, it's like, look, man, I ain't going to sign this document. You've wasted your time coming down here unless you da- download Cash App and buy at least $5 of the Bitcoin. held <laughs> him hostage until he did it. I mean, it was the <laughs> hostage-taking of my life. That's amazing. <laughs>
1: that's so funny.
5: I feel um, like we should we should protest like every drive-through we go to. Well, we're not we're not getting out of the McDonald's drive-through line until we paying yeah. Bitcoin. <laughs> that Bitcoin. Oh God! This
3: is Why finance people um, don't respect us? <laughs> all money. I ever
1: say, oh, this this is true. This is true. Um, uh, all I ever say with the uh, you can buy less than one Bitcoin, You don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. Is just that. In the same way, as you don't have to have a whole dollar; you can have a penny, like, like you you just have less than a full Bitcoin. Like, but you can. And we need to just switch to Sats. So using Sats mm-hmm. as the standard yeah, fixes that. this, because yeah. you know. And it's so funny that like even the, the unit bias is so strong that even though I know exactly what. So this many satoshis is in bitcoin now and like i've gotten really used to it it fools me like i i feel the pull of going oh god that's that's seventy three thousand sats but yeah, then I mean, like, like that seems like a lot and then i feel like an idiot when i look at it in bitcoin as 0. 0.0007 bitcoin or one two three four uh seven bitcoin That like I'm like oh yeah, oh yeah that's nothing that's nothing. But like when it's seventy three thousand sats, I'm like you
3: get those shivers, man. (laughs) Yeah, I think we need to make we need to get it out there. Bitcoin is the currency, satoshis are the unit. Like if if honestly if we could get people on board with satoshis, right? Like in the next couple months, and everyone did switch over, I would raise my price targets to half a million. That's how, much, <laughs> that's, how, that's how huge a buy is, is that people would no longer mm. have any restrictions on just insane enthusiasm for the price of Bitcoin at that point. A hundred thousand is a logical barrier, but once you knock that out because we're using Satoshi's instead, then people get to actually price it how it is. Yeah. No, totally I'm looking great.
2: on Trading View right now to see if they I have a stats per USD.
5: Is is cents actually the legal tender? I mean, I think cents just represents the percent, like the the per one hundred, right? Yeah. That's a good question.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just they're they're all just they're all just named after their fractions.
3: Whatever meme we can get people to start thinking satoshis are important, then it will be good for Bitcoin. You know, they need to realize that. They need to stop being intimidated by trying to buy 0.1 Bitcoin. You know, just let them buy a ton of Sats.
2: Yeah, dude. That's what company... we
1: tried to do originally in Bitcoin, but this shit didn't work just because it's confusing. The one, the one thing that's weird about that in Bitcoin is that because it's a hundred million, um, you don't really go in steps of a thousand. So milli and micro, like those, never really caught on. And then you know what? What would it be like? Pico Bitcoin or something like that.
4: Yeah <laughs> um, for like yeah.
1: 10 bitcoin or something uh, i don't know like that, yeah. I, I feel like that's just too too far and then the fact that it's not a derivative of 3 going down to the smallest unit satoshi's just is the only thing that works
0: yeah you know i i knew this one guy who had a solution to the unit bias problem it was very simple i remember he just talked Ugh. about the percentage of the total supply of the coin as the unit but the problem was that this guy, he was kind of a shady dude. He worked for a really like shady exchange. And so yeah. no one really trusted him. <laughs> but it was a
2: really great idea. You know, it goes I'll to see shit. if we can find where that guy went and maybe he'll post about it on Twitter. He's <laughs> <laughs>
3: always telling me he could get some arbitrage on my Bitcoin. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it sounds like a Bitcoin? scam. He would send point six <laughs> back immediately. I, I, did, I never did.
0: <laughs> no, but seriously, like, percentage of the supply is, like, such a brilliant solution to both the unit bias problem and also the hardness problem. Because you don't have a max supply yeah. if you don't have hard money. And... The problem with the unit bias, okay, yeah, people are thinking in sats is great because it makes people think more about their Bitcoin, and also it's cheaper than a Tron or whatever the hell the cheapest unit of cryptocurrency is, but that still doesn't really solve the problem, right? Because one day someone's going to come out with something that's half a Satoshi, right? So, I mean, that, that that still doesn't solve the problem. The problem is solved by the percentage of the total supply, and then letting that percentage go into the micro and the Pico and the nano. Like that is. Yeah. I mean, for anyone listening now, they're probably just lost, but.
6: So you're saying a percentage of the 21 million?
0: Yeah. Let, let the percentage of the 21 million be the thing that goes into 10 to the minus six, 10 to the minus nine, 10 to the minus 12.
2: That's it. I'm opening up the spreadsheet.
0: (laughs) Oh man, he did it uh so so this was daniel's idea this wasn't my idea but it's but the percentage of the supply is totally the solution to the unit
6: bias problem in my opinion yeah we don't trust people that work for shady exchanges yeah that's true yeah (laughs) Uh, yeah (laughs) that's pretty cool though yeah
3: how would you adjust the prices on the dollar when the fed prints three trillion would you just kind of I don't know how you could update all the prices in the supermarket that quickly.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right, like because there is no, no one even knows what the supply cap to the U.S. dollar is. I mean that that's the other brilliant thing that this solution exposes. You can't even do this solution if you don't have a supply cap.
3: Three trillion has to be ten percent or more. You know,
6: ten percent of what? I think it's it's like
2: sixteen percent of the. Money, like the base money supply.
3: So no. yeah, everything should have adjusted by that much in price the moment that money hit the streets. Dollars just became worth a lot less—sixteen percent less.
1: 16% less. Uh, actually, according to uh, a graph posted in the, uh, I think it's the big. I think it was the Bitcoin is Common Sense article. Um, uh, Parker Lewis's. Um, the most recent one? Yeah, that the base money, uh, like the money, the actual liquid capital, like like liquid cash, you know, digital cash or whatever, in the banking system was actually doubled. Um, that it actually went from like 2.7 trillion and then they added like 2.5. So,
3: um, guys, everything should be half, well, what should happen? No, everything should cost twice as much, right?
1: The reason it doesn't, is because that money is needed to keep the debt propped up. Mm. So the demands to use it for, non, like, for non-consumer means to prop up a promise that they made in the past is already there to soak it up. They need liquidity just to keep their positions from going underwater.
3: Well, so they, they, that's, so that's, that's how you
1: get deflation.
3: They, they, need, they need liquidity and insolvency are two different things. They need liquidity for their insolvent companies. Like giving somebody, giving liquidity to buy your worthless bond doesn't make you any more able to pay back the bond. The bond still will not be paid. You've just agreed to have a sucker hold it for a while. It's it's absurd. Like, it's, things are still on the precipice of like catastrophic
6: collapse. Yeah, I mean, other than the, um, the debt, uh, you know, what what uh, Jameer was talking about the other day was, um, you know, since we're the, the global reserve currency, you know, that demand from that, just that aspect alone is just massive. So they can hide this money printing behind that for quite some time. As long as the demand is there from the reserve, uh, the global perspective as a reserve currency, I mean, they could print money and there'll still be a demand for more dollars even with this printing of money. So yeah, we don't see I, that inflation in the supermarket yet.
3: But I don't think, we. I mean, I think the revolution has to be active. Like Bitcoiners are gonna have to be, eventually people are going to embrace Bitcoin. It's not just the dollars is going to collapse. People are gonna say enough. I'm tired of being in debt for decades to pay for my education, to pay for some basic shelter for my family to live in. That's ridiculous. I'm going all in on Bitcoin. I'm going out of the dollar. Like." that needs to be the message. Like, we're not radical enough when we go at these people and be like, you know, this is a sham now. This is not capitalism. It's total bullshit. Incompetent graduates of Harvard and Yale are just making up numbers. They're terrible at actually running our companies. That's why all the factories shut down because they're actually idiot businessmen. Like, you just have to get out there and explain what happened and tell them the way to get out is you have to go against the dollar by like going into Bitcoin, you have to choose to to resist their nonsense because, or else you're just going to be paying off debts and they're going to be giving themselves free money. It's absurd.
6: Yeah, I think um, when I read, um, well, I didn't read it. I listened to it from our guy. Nobody reads Swan, it. Anymore. Guy Swan's uh, awesome podcast, uh, The Anatomy of the State. I mean, when you hold, when these guys, when they come into power, they're not really thinking about, you know, when, when it comes to maintaining power, they're not really thinking about us as a minority who are ready to be radical. I mean, all they need to do is hold the majority. Like, look at what the majority moved and motion for with the coronavirus. Like, we motioned to self lock down ourselves. Like, they, they, we're basically volunteering to get fucked up, in this sense. No
3: sheep could be our sheep. The sheep will follow whoever they think, you know, that's the you just need to be the most powerful radical. Yeah, but right now, right now, that's not the case. The current radicals are the are the, you know, people running it. They have have no values. They have they don't care about humanity. And they're able to get away with this sort of radical antisocial behavior on a national, worldwide, global scale. Start wars. Do all this nonsense. So you just need a new radical group to become the new shepherds of the sheep. We no, need but the, thing is, the thing shepher- is, you
6: just, you just said, I mean, these, these radicals are in power right now. They don't care about humanity. But if you ask every American here today, you know, a good, majority them, a, a good majority of them will say that they actually do care about humanity. And that you, thinking about the economy and hoping for the dollar to crash, you actually don't care about anybody.
5: Man, I felt like your comment, yourself. like ask all the Americans here, was trying to exclude me. I'm, I'm an American. Goddammit! <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> I'm just joking. Ask
0: everyone <laughs> but that guy. I mean, he's also, everyone, he's but he's also a the lawyer, guy who just so spoke. He's mm-hmm. even it's like lawyers and oh. other parasites so he, like that. Like he he's part of the radicals.
6: Been. Yeah, the current radicals. <laughs> yeah. It's
7: constitutionalist.
5: <laughs> God damn it.
6: Yeah, so I mean, like, and from the anatomy of the state perspective, I, like right now, there's a fifty-one percent attack that's done already. It's confirmed, fifty-one uh, percent plus, making it major- the majority believes in the current administration. Right. Once that changes, or I see that changing, then I'll, 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 I'll agree with you, uh, Papa Frito. But right now, <clears throat> no. <laughs> You're all gonna um, Loses so much weight,
5: but you have to go. just so. I you mean, know. He-
1: you well, remember only- that it's not <laughs> – remember, even, even per Anatomy of the State, it's not about the majority being supportive. It's about the great bulk of the people being resigned to the fact that they can't do anything about it. Yes. So it's not that 51% of the people agree with it. It's about 51% of the people – it's about 70% of the people thinking that even if I do disagree with it, there's nothing I can do, so it doesn't matter. That's awesome. the state that the, that's the position that the state wants its population in. Um,
4: um,
7: just imagine having a survey of, do you agree with the state of the administration? Something <laughs> complex as government, which is the same thing you see in airport bathrooms when you walk out. How was your experience today? Smiley face, sad face. That's the extent of granularity and nuance we get to how we feel about the monolith of our government. Okay. It's just ridiculous. And to think that those polls represent any kind of uh understanding or or depth. It's just it's just ridiculous because this probably depends on whether or not that person's latte was was made correctly that day. Nobody's given any thought to this. See, anyway. I,
3: I think the resistance happens more like um almost like a religious revival movement, like when when Mormonism came out, and you just become self-sustaining communities on your own, but on a massive scale, like on a city-size scale, or even on a state-size scale. You're just like, we're not part of the U.S. economy. The U.S. dollar is trash. We don't touch that stuff. We don't care about your bullshit values. We don't go to your propaganda schools. We don't fight your bullshit wars we only pay our taxes because you would put us in cages like animals if we didn't but other than that go fuck off US government and that's what you need to say do it like honestly like be a human being like that's the big thing that we've lost and are just when we go and like sit in cubicles and just kind of live these kind of boring lives paying off debts is what does it actually take to be human really kind of expand how you've lost your humanity as you became an adult and stopped it and how much more of a human you were as a child and like embrace the fact that like you need a true revolutionary mental, some sort of change to happen that isn't, it's not just getting a million dollars because you invested in Bitcoin early.
6: Bro, I'm telling you it, what you're talking about is awesome. I, I'm cheering for you, but um, it's going to be really difficult. And the reason I say that is because the US, the U.S. dollar itself is so ingrained in all Americans. And it's not just from the U.S. dollar perspective, just the, the, the concept of the government is so engraved in us that we ingrained in us that we actually think that we are the U.S. dollar at this point. Like people actually think that if the dollar fails, I literally failed as a human being when it shouldn't really technically be like that just like when people miss uh, miss out on mortgages, they feel terrible when they miss out on payment, paying a mortgage or, you know, rent or, you know, obligations when the U S dollar does crash and I, you know, who knows, but if it does crash, that change to go to Bitcoin is almost going to be really uh, harmful and probably a fault change because people are going to think, Hey, my, my U S dollar just crashed. And now I have to accept this foreign thing called Bitcoin, who these radical nerds are talking about. There's the no way US, in hell.
3: When the US dollar crashes, it, the rich aren't going to particularly care. The dollar is going to crash because the rich are printing dollars and keeping them for themselves. So the rich will still be partying it up like aloof idiots, pissing off the common man. The common man won't be able to buy anything, but they'll see that the same billionaires are still buying yachts and doing nonsense and 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 that's when it's gonna collapse
6: that the, the common man will yearn to be the billionaire deep deep down <laughs> in his soul, he will always yearn to be that billionaire
0: it's It's the bitcoiner's turn to be the aloof idiots, I think <laughs> <laughs> i've got I, i've got I, I've got a question that might that I don't know uh, this is related to what you guys are talking about, but a slight tangent. Um, I was listening <laughs> yeah. to a podcast today. That talked about the total printed amount of U.S. dollars. Actually, guy, I think it was um, it was the new Common Sense by Parker. Yeah, Williams. yeah, um, yeah that like might the, be what you're talking about. Like, like the total amount of U.S. dollars is like two trillion, or whatever, like one or two mm-hmm. trillion. And then the national debt is like twenty trillion, and then the total amount of debt that people have is like 50 trillion so like this is a really simple measure of basic leverage just the total amount of money exists divided by the total amount that's owed so we're Mm. talking about like the total amount of money that exists is like two trillion and then the total amount of money that's owed is like 70 or is like 60 or 70 trillion like
1: yeah even after the three trillion dollar like $3 Three trillion dollars created, like just in a matter of weeks. Um, even after that, um, the leverage, according to the, the chart that was posted in uh, Common Sense or whatever, in the little details uh, was that we're still at least every dollar was leveraged seventeen to one.
0: Yeah, that's so se- that's that's like that's such an interesting perspective on society. Like I yeah. know I know you guys talk about the interest rate is this global macro aggregate philosophical statement about the time preference of society. And I think this one is interesting as well. I mean the, the total societal leverage is 17 to one, right? Yeah. Like, like that's no. Yeah. That's
2: it's like a measure of fragility.
0: Well, think about it. It's the
1: measure of, uh, it's the measure of fragility. It's the measure of like risk in the market. If literally anything goes wrong or production doesn't end up being what we thought it was. Um, it's literally like stacking, you know, it's, it's stacking cards on top of each other again and again, the higher, the higher the leverage is, the more the cards are and the worse everything is if
2: something goes wrong. I mean, the fact, the fact remains, if the national debt was a billion, it'd be like, wow, a billion, that's a big number. Or if it's $25 trillion, it's like, wow, that's a big number. Like, so I, it always helps me to think about these types of things on an individual level. You know? So that'd be like an individual making $100,000 a year and having $1.7 in debt.
3: To, to understand, like, here's wow, how you can understand bad. leverage. You know? Here, here's, the leverage is the degree that the banks have stacked the economy against you. <laughs> they've, they've tricked you into thinking you have in a free market, but $17 to your $1 of real money has been. Is what they actually owe <laughs> <You laughs> That's what they
1: yeah. I mean, I mean, exactly. Excuse me. The other way around uh, the, that's how much you owe them. That's how much they can't satisfy. Whatever you think you own, you're only really going to get a 17th of it because that's all that actually exists
3: correct
0: oh yeah
1: that goes but the
3: hard. only way to steal the entire productive economy was a comically absurd over leveraging like the, the over leveraging because it should have stopped at like two or three to one but we just kept letting them scam us for generations of just these idiot sheep that came before us since 1930 i'm honestly pissed off about all the united states citizens that have just let things get this bad you know what because it's, it's a generation stacked upon each other of just sucking and not putting up any resistance. And they really <laughs> fucked us over, man.
7: Well, when you're a they boomer, you're, get getting, you're a boomer getting 15% interest, you know, in the 80s on, what is it, like, uh, your your savings account and on any kind of bond. Right. You're going to let it ride. You're like, what are you talking about, man? Things are great. And then now it's just. everything's hitting the fan. And that's where you see this big societal disconnect of boomers just don't understand. They think that millennials are just complainers. They don't know, oh, what's the big deal? You know, you just go to college and you succeed like we all did, and that's just not the case. So yeah, I mean, it's just the the total mindset that is created in that other generation that's continuing to screw things up. And if you look at the charts of the average age of our leaders uh, in politics, as well as CEOs, it's just been increasing, like every five and ten years, to to keep those boomers in leadership. So we're just yeah. it was like I mean, literally fifty or so. and Now it's increased to like sixty or sixty-five.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's literally what they used to write horror stories about. Like these mythological stories about vampires are just old people sucking the life out of the lung <laughs> so they could be fucking eaten. <laughs> You no, know, that's what's happening. Nancy Pelosi's having you know, just doing coke and having orgies and the rest of us all have to suck.
6: Man, I, that's very graphic.
1: Papa uh, Brito. Don't ever change. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. Man, I, I heard the uh the term used recently, intergenerational warfare. And someone was like, All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna try to avoid intergenerational warfare here. Um, but that it is kind of a thing like when an older generation has a very different um, you know risk preference and risk tolerance and just what they think is money and then a younger generation has a completely different you know understanding of that it Mm. i it's like wow that was a great term i mean yeah Yeah. I, i i try to avoid that too because you know i have parents you know i have like friends, I have older people, you know, I, I love them, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to engage in intergenerational warfare, but man, it is kind of, you know, there's a little truth to that. Yeah. yeah. But also it's amazing to how do many things their way.
1: Yeah. The, the, the other thing too, is that like, if they're quote unquote in charge, um, particularly if they're in government, just in general, they have no idea what the economy actually looks like. Like I've even found that out. Like with people, like very close to me, like family members and you know, aunts and uncles, sort of things, and uh, they, they just don't even know what the job market looks like. Like they have, they they literally think that you can.
3: Uh, I'm sorry,
2: JC some funny ass meme in the in the Telegram. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: yeah, tell them to get on the
0: call. Tell him to get, get on, him the on the call and explain that. <laughs>
2: but
1: um oh,
0: man. uh oh, go ahead Josh. you
1: don't know I even mean? oh, oh oh they don't even know what the job <laughs> market looks like they think they literally think that it's still just get a job and a career and work for 50 years and like have a pension in retirement that that's, that that's actually something that exists still
4: yeah like,
1: i don't know anybody yeah. my age that think that that's, that's true. That you would you would get laughed at you know like yeah. but that's the way it was for them so they think that's the way We should be planning for it. And that's why our education system is still oriented that way. Get a career. And then two years out of college, you're like, none of this shit is true. This is, this doesn't look anything like what I was described. Well, it's because it was made in the fifties and they haven't changed
2: it since.
0: Yeah. Also also that, that news is is the way to get information about the world is to watch the news. Oh God. Yeah that's another one of those things it's like you know anyone that believes that today is just not set up very well to you know be successful in the world because that's not that's not how it is anymore it's also funny
1: too that like millennials like millennials and like younger generations that grew up on the internet like know how to filter the information on the internet like it doesn't mean that like we always know what the truth is like not even close but we can at least make some discerning about what's total bullshit and what's not right it's the boomers that are suddenly online and falling victim to all this idiotic disinformation and these like stupid like the it's like those things that like i got interested in in middle school and high school like the conspiracy theories and like some of those some of those things like i'm like older people are just completely consumed by them because they just think because they saw it, it's real. They're the ones that are having, that are failing at discerning any difference between the complete horse crap on the internet and like what is actually true. And you can actually, you know, pick out as evidence for or against something. Obviously, we don't all agree, but uh, still, like they're the ones that can't interpret the information but of course, they're the ones coming in and saying now we have to control what people see. It's like no, that's
2: your problem. <laughs> um, hey guys, you mind if I switch to a to a Bitcoin topic here um, that was related good. to fees? So I was kind of looking around, and you know, about you know a week ago, there was a pretty high spike on the mempool, and uh, mm-hmm. there was you know there were there were a lot of transaction fees being paid and. At one point, there were like 85,000 transactions in the mempool and Bitcoin fees of 19.6. And I was just looking at the chart on um, the uh, uh, Jokun uh mempool website, which is really great. Great, great mempool yeah. website. Lots of colors. Great. Yeah. Yeah. One. That's like my favorite one to go to. Yeah, me too. But it's pretty sweet because, well, I don't know if it's sweet, but it's interesting that you know, when you double the amount of transactions in the mempool, miners get more than double the amount of fees. So it's mm-hmm. it's not it's not a pure linear correlation between um, between the number of transactions and the fees that miners get. And I think in the last you know in the last week when there was a big backlog, there were you know there were a lot of miners that came online, and we also had like the highest hash rate like up to 140 uh, at one point. Um, that I think we've ever had, but it's interesting because I don't know if it's a i don't know if that's like just the way that Bitcoin is gonna work always or if it's just really difficult to estimate fees, so you have to make it kind of an exponential increase just for a security standpoint to be sure your transaction gets in there
1: um I think that's just kind of a natural thing of um, like trying to like the pressure on like Uh, space like on like the the lack of availability of space and then the degree of what's the word like importance that somebody takes on getting in their transactions soon um so like if a larger service or something i think it's very natural that that you'd have like a you know a quadratic or a multiple as a relationship rather than a linear you know like if, if we double the number of transactions it shouldn't double the fee it should like quadruple the fee or something because it's explicitly about the difference between the unimportant and the portent and, and the important uh, transactions, um and uh uh the value that um they yeah. they see in, in uh, comparison or whatever
2: well, that's one of those things that kind of makes me uh, it makes me feel good about the future of mining because yeah. if it were just purely linear, then, you know, that produces some result. But if it's like super linear or even log, then like miners, like security of the network when the network is busy, I mean, that could, could really be helpful, you know, and just depending on how often those spikes happen, that could be a, A really good way to continue to secure the network even if the baseline isn't a huge you know a huge revenue source
0: yeah i i know uh you like are worried about that transaction fee thing and the ability to like predict the transaction fees based on the mempool i remember like four years ago uh one of my first uh visits to the raleigh bitcoin meetup was back when jameson was running the Raleigh Bitcoin meetup, and when I talked to him, he was currently implementing the the prediction model for the transaction fee based on the size of the mempool. Yeah, so, by looking
1: forward rather than back, yeah. Yeah,
0: like given the size, that, so he, he was, you know, he was the main author of the Bitco wallet, and part of that wallet, yeah was you know estimating the fees and so he was actually writing the software for estimating the fees based on the size of the mempool and the increase Hmm. and he said that this was the most complex nightmare he had ever imagined like there was wow there was no way to fit any kind of model to the estimation of fees based on either the current mempool or the like Recent ramp up in the mempool, and I I think I I think it's related to what Guy said because people act very interestingly, and and there's a huge variety. There's a huge range of what people are willing to pay to make a Bitcoin transaction go through.
2: So here's a here's one for you. Do you think the Do you think you know in the in the the Bitcoin blockchain there's a, a static you know, there's a finite limit of space in the, in the blocks. You think there's a uh, like a stock-to-flow model of pricing for transaction fees? Oh, I bet if you read a Medium article titled The
0: Stock-to-Flow of Transaction <laughs>
3: Fees. Transaction fees are a better reflection of how prices you just- actually work in a free market in that nobody is paying the same price. There's not a correct <laughs> price for everybody fitting in the block. It is kind of this chaotic, just like, oh, I, I, you panic and overpay or you get greedy and underpaid. But, like, everybody's trying to get in at the right price for them, you know? Yeah. But it's, yeah. it's um, crazy
0: because people will, will do this for, like, one or two dollars. Like, yeah. like, two weeks ago, there was a one billion dollar transaction. And the guy paid, like, a dollar in fees. And he probably sweated over whether he was going to pay two dollars or one dollar.
3: <laughs> that's great. I, mean, I would. I would definitely be like, wait, how many sats is that in? Do- oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Ten thousand sats Oh my god, that's a lot. It says all in Papa um,
2: Frito. Yeah.
3: Uh, also, that um, block, that first um, block, probably took forever. When you send that billion dollar transaction, you know you have zero confirmations for like thirty minutes. And you're just in panic.
1: <laughs> the two.
3: As Bitcoin
1: becomes more financialized, and and as, um, uh, which to a degree we like like we don't want the extent of like I don't want to give the connotation that it's going to be like the financial system that we have today, which is, which is, gross over financialization. But obviously, financial tools and like derivatives and things do have incredible value in certain areas. Um, and where I think we're going to see. We're already beginning to see with mining um, uh, where I think there's the most value could be provided and that we we will not have a fee estimator, a good one, until we develop this market are in uh, mining derivatives so that you can hedge. You can put puts or calls on the hash rate, essentially, so that um, you don't have to turn your miners off if you If you properly hedge, you can get a consistent overtime payout even if the hash rate falls or increases during a period of time. Um, uh, and uh, uh, then also derivatives in the fee market is that you could put a hedge on whether or not the fee is going to be high or low, and you could essentially prepay to be guaranteed in uh, some number of blocks with some specific pool. And whoever is selling the position is betting that the fees won't go up. And whoever is buying the position is hedging, is getting insurance on the fact that fees might go up. And in doing so, even when the mempool gets high, it will be the derivatives that actually dictate which fees are getting put into blocks. Um, cool. And so you'll actually have a much steadier, it's kind of like putting, it's kind of like Gemini did with their contracts or whatever, that close once a day. So it puts, um, it puts less pressure on a lot of the contracts that are, you can do intraday like business deals if you're buying the daily contract for Gemini because for 24 hours it's the same and it only updates once. Um, and like in, in that same way, we'll see those markets develop for mining, uh, for hash rate and you know, electricity, uh, as well as for the fee rate. And I think that will be probably the best, well, the, the first semblance of a solution to uh to that problem i think
0: that's really cool man that's kind of like um the options uh i don't know the, the options and the insurance uh solution to people that don't want to take such risks about yeah being the one guy that loses out and and you know all right, I mean, I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but that isn't, isn't this a collectivist solution to someone that doesn't want to be singled out as the person that gets unlucky? Wait, what do you mean? Um, yeah, I had a feeling that I went on a, too far out here. Um, okay, so let, let's imagine I'm a company that provides insurance to someone for not getting in the next block. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm counting on them, either one, not understanding the probabilities as well as I do, which I think is the major uh, source of income for insurance companies is just that someone understands probabilities better than someone else does. And so they make money off of that. Um, But but then there's the other aspect that even if both people understand the probabilities the same way. Uh, one person doesn 't has a different risk profile and doesn 't want to be the one that gets unlucky and therefore they 're willing to pay pay for that right
1: yeah but that 's see kind of in that in the whole relationship is the fact that like the hedger who, whoever 's doing the hedging um, is the one with the high risk tolerance. the person who 's using the service at the other end, which might not even realize they 're doing like like the general consumer or whatever might use some service, like, like maybe a wallet or something that has, like, a built-in fee that, like, you know, this is your static fee over, like, this period of time. Um, and then on the back end, that company is getting the insurance or doing the derivative or hedging. Um, uh, and in doing so, providing their customer with, like, not having to care about what the weather is on the blockchain you know like not having to care whether or not there was a storm of transactions today or if the mempool's low right. um but but it specifically it's not about like like those companies like the user will just not even know um more often than not in the same way like like with you know Forex markets or whatever, like we don't know what's going on in the Forex markets, but there's plenty of businesses that use that to hedge um, and uh, use, uh, you know, derivatives and options contracts to shore up their position so they don't have to change so that retail prices don't go all over the place. You, you know, it's, it's, it's layers of abstraction to defend yourself from volatility. And I think it's just the, the average consumer. The people at the bottom are just always—they're always behind the buffer, you know. They just won't go into Bitcoin until those buffers exist, sort of thing. Or they—they won't use it in that way, at least.
6: Yeah. So this Bitcoin, you know, option side of things, like—is this, like, let's using um, <laughs> my man Jimmy's uh, analogy, where it's insurance insurance of, uh, you know. If you don't get into the next block, you have insurance. I mean, is this person paying in Bitcoin? Is this insurance company also paying in Bitcoin? Cause I think that kind of really breaks this whole thing. If oh, that's we're settling, if we're settling all this in Bitcoin.
1: If, well, it's kind of like, like you're, you're settling in it in block space. Okay. It's it's settled in block space. So what you're buying is future block space. Like, like whatever that, whatever that contract is would be locked to, um, a certain miner's actual production of blocks. Um, so the settlement is in the fact that you get included in something that they're mining.
6: And um, are you using Bitcoin for this?
1: It's kind of like an interest rate. It's it's an interest rate for the fee, like
0: for future fees.
6: Right, but um, are you, you, you know, are using Bitcoin though to do this?
0: Um, That's a great question, man. I mean, if you're using fiat to do this, that just opens up a whole nother can of worms. Right yeah yeah
1: yeah it 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 adds an extra layer of abstraction so i I would imagine no matter what like it would be a bitcoin yeah you would probably have to 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 make a successful contract in that it would it would probably have to be something to do with bitcoin
0: in order for anything insurance related to make any sense at all to me it has to be done on a sound money settlement system because yeah if you do something insurance related on the US government money settlement system, it doesn't make any sense because the then the motive is to become the biggest, most fraudulent insurance company you can be because you know you're going to get bailed out by the people. You know, it, it's like that. Anyway, I, I feel like I'm. Yeah. Okay. So where's I uh, feel like I'm taking this in the direction that other people on this podcast love to go in. Uh, (laughs) yeah frito dropped off so yeah yeah. i don't don't see (laughs) that anyway oh did he
1: drop off is frito not here no wonder
0: yeah yeah whenever i imagine any kind of insurance related thing the only way i can make sense of it is if everything is settled in bitcoin
1: Yeah, yeah particularly with the uh or at least right now well you know probably for the foreseeable future too um, is the uh, volatility of Bitcoin too? Is that if you're hedged with dollars, uh, you better be you better be hedged on the price of Bitcoin too, or if your insurance is in dollars, you better be also hedged on the price of Bitcoin, because mm. you could be underwater in a matter of days. Right. You know, like like a fifty percent, hundred percent move in Bitcoin could put you so leveraged on your insurance that if something went wrong, your whole company could implode. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's bad not to have your your bitcoin insurance reserves need to be in bitcoin.
5: So this and is probably a, for
1: the same reason those derivatives need to be.
5: This is a really interesting topic that's kind of work related and and um I mean, you guys guys bring up such crazy fucking interesting topics. It just blows my mind all the time. So a lot of what we do in the office is personal injury law, and that involves someone getting injured, having to navigate the complexities of seeking compensation. Should accident victims, as a result of all of this money printing, be asking for more money as a result of their injuries because the dollar is worth less? Oh, my God. Oh, absolutely.
2: (laughs) Yeah. trial is going to be – yeah, I mean, you're you're not going to – go to trial or settle for years, man. That, there could be so much inflation until then.
5: <laughs>
2: As for I think for sure, there's a really good case to do to, to that.
5: Yeah. So we just hired a forensic economist in a, in a wrongful death uh, tractor trailer accident. And that is one factor that we didn't consider in the calculation. I got his report today um, is this crazy ass inflation. Forensic yeah, economist. That <laughs> oh, wow. That's crazy.
6: That's an awesome thing. I kind of want to be a forensic economist. <laughs> That's an awesome Dude, those guys are goddamn ninjas, man. <laughs> forensic economists. Yeah.
5: It's <laughs> um, they uh, they are fucking badasses. Uh, what they do is they take someone's life and they put it into these tables and they give a breakdown of who they are, what services they provided at home, did they cut the grass, did they wash the dishes? <laughs> Unbelievable. How often oh, did they love. have relations with their spouse? What? Um everything has a value how much
2: bitcoin did they buy
5: how much bitcoin they were yeah. buying for their family were they giving it to anyone else did they provide support to grandchildren or to anyone else and uh, they go through and calculate um using these fucking crazy <laughs> wow. ass formats i mean to me sometimes i wonder if it's all just bullshit but there's other times where like uh-huh. i read the and it's like my god this guy's a fucking genius i didn't even think that
0: wow i, w- I want to get that done on me Oh, I want!
5: I want to see my story. Eleven dollars and a coupon.
1: It, it was only when you kept going on with it that I realized you weren't just doing one of your random jokes.
6: this is
5: for reals, guys. No. This is for reals.
6: <laughs> a forensic maximalist. <laughs> That's an awesome title. I don't know who came up with that, but that's awesome. And it's right, awesome that the title... Was that,
5: that was Joe in marketing came up with that title for sure. That's, inc- that's insane. From it could be kind it, of sad economist. if you got it done
7: to your own life. It's like, oh, that, that's all my life is worth? Okay.
5: Mm-hmm. You'd be shocked how... That how
7: could be really depressing
4: if somebody,
1: somebody analyzed your life.
6: Yes. I mean, the U.S. government gave you know a lot of people $1,200 checks, so... I mean, and that's overvaluing a lot of people, <laughs> according to the U.S. government.
1: <laughs> Did y'all see uh, there was uh, some, like, so, you know, a bunch of plants and all sorts of stuff are, you know, breaking down, but, um, excuse me, not breaking down, but being shut down because mm-hmm. um, of COVID and everything. Yeah. But that even with, like, unemployment skyrocketing, there was a... Uh, a couple of articles interviewing people who um, literally said that they can't they can 't hire anybody they 're trying to hire people and they can 't find anybody because um, the 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 safety nets like paying out everybody twelve hundred dollars and the increases in unemployment and all the aid that 's happening they 'd rather just stay at home there was even a, there was even a um, a spa. Uh, some Some business or whatever that uh was able to open i 't know not open back up she got the the payment protection plan so that she didn 't have to lay anybody off
5: and yeah. um,
1: uh, so she could she could quote unquote furlough everybody but keep paying them like they would just not go to work um, and uh, she announced this on a zoom meeting with everybody and there was like you know twenty employees or something like that or fifteen um And everybody was mad. And she was like, I don't understand. Like, she was just completely, she was doing this as, like, a surprise to everybody. And she got, like, a bunch of backlash. And she was like, I don't, I don't, what the hell are you talking about? And then she realized after, like, the the conversation continued that unemployment was going to pay them more. Yeah, I saw that. And now they were pissed because... They had to keep their jobs and got paid less. And the, the, the business owner was like, the lady was like, in what possible world am I competing for to pay people to not work with unemployment? How does that make any sense at all? I told them they were going to keep their jobs and they got mad. It's just absolutely insane, the situation we're in.
5: Yes. So uh, on that, that same front, we have posted two positions we're looking to hire. And um, we go through the same company every time to post. We usually get, we track the, the views, that track the applicants. Um, we've got zero applicants in a week. And we've had, <laughs> um, we've had like 20 views. Holy cow. And nobody is applying. For anything, I love it. Good God. I love it. Well,
2: you might have an application from Satoshi Nakamoto tomorrow, so check the inbox.
1: (laughs) What's the position for? Does it have anything to do with reading Bitcoin
5: articles? No, no, unfortunately (laughs) not reading Bitcoin articles. Does it have anything to do with
0: thinking about the nature of irrational numbers?
5: It's funny (laughs) because we are looking for a forensic uh, rational number counter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Ooh. need
1: any forensic economists over there
5: so so unemployment
6: runs out though eventually right it's like six months or something or
1: yeah i think so but i, I don't know if a lot changed in the cares act so
6: oh man it might
1: not be the case anymore right? i was gonna
6: say you just gotta wait six months they will be rolling yeah. it, rolling back in
1: but you know people are deferring mortgages and like there's all sorts of stuff on the table for continuing this or amping it up um
5: no evictions so either
1: who knows what yeah no evictions like all sorts of stuff i mean you know people were just not paying rent and supposedly they can't you know they can't be kicked out like in a lot of different places
5: so i'd heard Especially this like number that over 30 million americans have filed for unemployment since this whole thing began
1: yeah 30.6 um, i think was the last number
5: Does anyone have an idea of how many Americans are actually eligible to work or not disabled or are of age and capable of working? Because it's like 200. (laughs) It's got to be like 20% unemployment rate right now.
4: Yeah, dude.
6: It's nuts. And and there's no like revolution happening because everyone's just happy to be at home getting unemployment checks and not having to work. It's like a vacation. And you're, st- and you're with your family on top of that. So, so cool. this is, <laughs> I love it. This is I, I why, love why this I'm experiment. scared
1: for our currency though. is because this only happens because our currency is in such high demand. Like, yeah. right. Like we're, yeah. we're stealing from everybody
5: who the is world. taking
1: our dollars. Right. Like the whole world. Yeah. And if now the whole U S economy is just sitting at home, not working. the rest of the world isn't going to put up with paying for that for very long Um, like it's like there will be a short spike in having to pay off like having to deal with their debts and needing liquidity and stuff just like we had in 2007-2008 but the the inflation that we had out after that like following that there's like you know four months or five months period of um, uh, deflation Um, but then the unraveling after that was an acceleration of the the previous inflation in the previous period up to two thousand and seven two thousand and eight um and I think we're going to see it in acceleration again and there's no bat there's no telling how bad that acceleration could be, you know, like we could get into the tune of twenties and thirty percent just on the year and still just look at the stock market look at look at everything, go it's so good, everybody's rich again um but you know, really, the cost of living is just skyrocketing, and yeah, we might just have UBI out of this thing. And I think, who knows how fast all that's going
6: to accelerate this problem? Oh, yeah, that's socialism. People are enjoying socialism, socialism right now. But um, I was going to say, um, it's great until it implodes and kills everybody. <laughs> yeah, and, and the thing is, we're enjoying it because, like you said, that whole piece where the global reserve currency. I mean, that's really one of the two anchors that are holding us in this and keeping us sustained. I think the only only thing that really breaks that second anchor, which is the the reserve currency portion, not the debt portion, is just like you said, um, 2008, we had the bailouts, we printed tons of money, and... The world was watching during that time, and they're like, "Okay, there's a big crash happening, and we know America's gonna take care of themselves before they take care of the rest of the world." Okay, noted. It happened again, and countries are noticing. That's yeah. that's that's gonna have lasting offense effects, and I think that's really short-sightedness, you know, from our side to just, you know, celebrate and party, and be okay while the rest of the world is in shit. <laughs>
5: No one's yeah. no one said this yet, but if you had spent your stimulus check on Bitcoin, your ass is up thirty five percent.
1: I did. Yeah.
2: That's
5: that's great. I
1: spent both our checks yeah. on Bitcoin.
5: Did
2: you see the your uh, right. Twitter account Bitcoin. tracking that? Yes. Is it Twitter I'm account? So
1: that does that? I'm so the excited! I'm so excited to yeah, see man. that in two years. It's a, if it's a fun you- little
2: Twitter account.
6: What's if you put
1: your $1,200 on one in Bitcoin or something like that, it would be worth. And then it's just showing what it would now be worth. And obviously it's already up like 30% or something like that. Wow. Yeah. The, that's going to be amazing. The, the Twitter like handle year.
2: is Bitcoin stimulus.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's great, yeah. man. I'm glad. you. It's funny. Me. I was, I, I saw that yesterday and I DM the guy and, uh, he, he said he just put up the account yesterday and it's already got 4,000 followers.
4: that's <laughs>
2: wow. awesome. Best idea, yeah. best idea ever. Best
0: idea
6: ever. Yeah. The stimulus.
0: I've got a um, potential change of topic related to the just inflation idea. Like um, somebody was talking about how uh, – they shouldn't talk about today's dollars. They should talk about the inflation dollars. Um, but we have the price of assets that are going up a lot faster than like the price of food at the grocery store. Right. Like, and this mm-hmm. is intentional, right? Like like the government is printing money in a very strategic way such that the price of hard assets, you know, gets inflated, but the average person doesn't notice the inflation because of you know the the price of food at the grocery store isn't going up.
5: Mm-hmm. So is
0: this a is this a good measure of the wealth gap? You know, the no. inflation of yeah. assets versus okay yeah no, no I, I really want your opinion. The inflation of hard assets versus the inflation of food at the grocery store. I mean um it It seems to me that this is a good measure of the wealth gap because the in wealth this gap situation, is easier to
1: measure actually because the, the 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 prices at the grocery store the prices at the retail are dependent on the movement in the prices of the wages, so what you're actually like like the prices won't go up if people don't have the wages to afford it um they'll just stop selling um and uh so the, the actual consumer price index is based on what stuff sells for. So people can become poor without the CPI going up. Um, so what, and, and what that in effect actually measures, which technically you're right, is just a second order effect of it is the fact that wages are stagnant, even though asset prices are going up. So that's what it's actually measuring, but you're right. It means also that the retail prices would not go up. That like, the actual, um, like normal goods that we buy would not.
4: Mm. Okay. Um,
1: and, and the, an example of why is because, uh, uh, and it won't happen until, you know, the money floods back to the bottom. Um, but it's because again, all this money is being used to fuel debt. So, um, where, where the prices go up are in all the goods not the normal consumer stuff but all the goods that are fueled with debt because that's where all the new money goes the, the new money is a loan every time it's being created so where do people pay for everything with loans housing education healthcare uh you know, cars like like the loans are where all all the inflation goes to um and that's why you know your, you know the price of your sandwich might not is delayed in the um, uh, the rising cost, but not your rent, um, and you have less to afford sandwiches. <laughs> um, it's just they're just at the end of the line essentially
0: for when prices actually increase. But isn't that isn't that end of the line thing a measure of wealth gap? I mean, here, here's my okay. Here here's my view of what's happening in the world. Um, There's no free lunch, right? Yeah. You know, whenever something happens, whenever someone wins, someone else loses. But Mm -hmm. one of the things that can happen is to increase the wealth gap. Mm -hmm. So, So like the U.S. government, you know, they can't just provide free money to everyone. They, they can't just mm-hmm. print money without any consequences. So the consequence of these actions that they're doing is expanding the wealth gap. Yeah. It's, it's just making the rich people richer and the poor people poorer. And it's like, right. it, 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 no one, no one uses this in their explanation of things, but this yeah. is how it all seems to me. It's just, the wealth gap is just something that you can do. You can expand it or you can yeah. contract it. And if you want to like print money, you can expand the wealth gap in order to do that.
2: Yeah. But Jimmy, I think it a lot of it boils down to <clears throat> what are the types of things that we want the price of to go up? Like what are things that are investments? Like nobody invests in sandwiches, but <laughs> you know, so the, so the government's not incentivized to buy sandwiches to keep the prices elevated but like 2 days ago or recently you know the fed says they're going to buy they're going to put 75 billion into a fund to buy bonds and junk bonds and or newly junk bonds and some bond etfs and through the either leverage or fractional reserve that's going to turn into 750 billion of bond buying power so like never in history has any central bank bought 750 billion of sandwiches but they always buy bonds and equities and do other things for assets that they want the price to go up and that's that's why the wealth gap increases is because the people who aren't wealthy don't have these things right
0: Exactly. So, I mean, the government is saying, it's, it's kind of like, you know, the, the the government can draw out of different bank accounts. One of those bank accounts is called the wealth gap. You know, it's like, uh, I I can take Peter to pay Paul. Like Peter is, you
2: know, is is,
0: is, that, that we're we're taking,
2: you know, we're printing and taking the money from everybody, but not everybody's getting the redistribute redistribution. Yeah, but, but so like it's socialism for the rich.
0: But I mean, e- even, even just printing money. Yeah, exactly. Like printing money and saying like, okay, we're going to make sure that real estate, we're going to make sure that grocery prices don't increase. You know, we're going to make sure that the poor people don't experience inflation. The way, yeah. the way to print money while simultaneously making sure that people don't experience inflation the way to do that is to increase the wealth gap is to make sure yeah. assets
2: cost more. And the thing is all the people at the bottom of the, the wealth pyramid, they get screwed even more because if you're, if, say you got a million dollar net worth, you probably have, say you have 10% of that in cash, you know, in dollars, yeah. the rest of it is financial assets and yeah. other things. Um, but if you're poor, if you're, if you're only worth 10,000, you probably have 50% of that in cash. So the printing they're doing is disproportionately affecting you as a percent of your net worth to a richer person. Yeah.
4: So it's, it's like a it's, double guy, whammy.
6: They pulled off socialism. It's crazy. They pulled it off. I mean, it's, it's It's definitely temporary, but it, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's currently working in our, in our state. And uh, it's unfortunate, you know, that, you know, the only way to pull it off, who would have guessed, is to make sure people can still afford to buy a loaf of bread or make a sandwich, you know. Just
2: make sure the rich people get it first.
6: Right. Yeah.
2: If you would, like, if, if we were to run this system the other way and start doing socialism for poor people and then give it to rich people, that
6: would not have worked. Right. And that's
2: start what side. tried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
6: Start that's with like the Russia rich and then, okay. China, all those, all those nations tried that. But yeah.
2: But, yeah now now, we're, now the, the common folk is getting the $1,200 Trump checks. Yeah.
0: But, even, but, e, but even if you did that, it wouldn't work. Like, all right, well, let's say that, um, you know, there was never any printing of money to give to Wall Street. Let's just say the only thing that the U.S. government did was print money and give it to the poorest of people. That's it. Okay. Okay. Then immediately the price of hard assets would skyrocket. Like, like just, just because, just because you print money because it's just like, all right, the way I'm thinking about this is that there are scarce things and there are non-scarce things, you know, just because mm-hmm. you print money, you make money appear out of nowhere and you give it to poor people that doesn't change the scarcity of Bitcoin, you know, that, that that, like things that are valuable and scarce and affordable, people are going to pay money for that thing. Like that, that doesn't like that. That's just the fact of reality. Like that's real estate. That's Bitcoin. You know, it's, if you print yeah. a ton of money and give it to poor people, that just makes the price of the scarce asset go up. And when the price of scarce assets goes up, the wealth gap increases.
2: Right. Like the, I think there the is, point, there's no, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I think the core point you're making is that the price of scarce assets goes up period, mm-hmm. you know, no matter what you do. And especially if you jerk around with the money supply. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Which I totally agree with you on.
6: So, if you guys don't mind, I want to quickly talk about the having the having those. Oh uh, yeah. anybody,
1: anybody got like a thirty second uh, filler on anything uh, important I missed?
0: Oh yeah, Steve, I think you might as well. I think I went on, on too long. I, I was I was trying to make the <laughs> the printing of any money, whether it's for poor people or whether it's for rich people, it doesn't matter. Because even if you print money and give it to poor people, the things that are scarce assets are still going to increase in value. Mm -hmm. And when scarce assets increase in value, you have a wealth gap. Yeah. So so anything that the government does in terms of printing of money is taking the wealth gap is expanding the wealth gap in return for some kind of political favor. Yeah. It's like in terms of like, you know, there is no free lunch, you're taking from this to pay that. You're basically expanding the wealth gap in order to look good to poor people.
4: Yeah,
1: no, I totally agree. Um, there's, there, it's, it's it completely axiomatic that there is nothing you can do in manipulating the money supply that has any productive value, that, that adds value to anything. All it can do is distort the market, which is gonna create poverty, and take from one person, like take from one segment in one way or the other, and give to another segment. Uh, and in the meantime, you know you're going to put a, a friction and miscommunication in actual economic activity. So the only the only degree of difference is if it's really bad, or kind of a little bad, or just super unbelievably terrible. There's there's no no point in which it goes positive. <laughs>
6: Mm. All, right. Point all right, Let's hit that yeah. having. Yeah, that's the having. Man, yeah. I mean, a lot of people are attributing the having to like the recent rise with the Bitcoin price and all that stuff. Um, a lot of people are also saying that you know it's going to be harder to attain Bitcoin now that it's having. Just wondering what you guys' thoughts are on that, and you know, for for me, I'll, I'll, I'll provide my take real quick. For me, I think after the having happens. There might be a, a small crash, um, yeah. And I mean, I'm I'm okay with it if it does happen. But if it does happen, but um, you know, I wonder what the aftershocks will be in the Bitcoin community after the halving happens and there is a is, there is a crash. So I know, I know there's a lot of questions there, but um, we could open it up to to talk about that. I um, heard first, there's a Bitcoin um, fork
5: that will uh, delay the halving indefinitely. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a it's a mistake Satoshi's only mistake he shouldn't have done it and uh, you can avoid it completely by getting on the uh jared bitcoin
3: jared coin
5: j coin j coin um uh
1: no i totally agree um i think it's very likely that we'll see a dip um if for no other reason than uh uh you know there was it happened the last two times um and uh, I'm not 100% certain, though, that this run-up is really excitement about the halving. Um, there was a pretty run-up previous to the last halving and then a crash like immediately following, like 40% or something like that. I think it started just a little bit before the halving, actually. Mm. Um, uh, but that makes sense, too, if the price does get a little bit overinflated in anticipation of it, because it can't be sustained for very long um because the actual supply still hasn't changed and it takes weeks and months for the volume the change in volume the, like the change in new supply to really work its way into all the markets because mm. um, miners yeah. are usually slow to uh uh, slow to spend and when they do they do it on you know in large amounts on otc markets and stuff like that it just takes a long time to work it into the market um uh, but when that happens you know if we do have if we do have a dip uh i think it's kind of inevitable that we'll we'll rise out of it um just because you know after the hype is gone it will just be a game of supply.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but uh, I'm not so sure, though, that this "quote-unquote" rally um, is really a, a rise into the having. Like we just took a 50% dump. Like in like three days, we dropped from we were literally everybody was looking at ten thousand again, and then we were we were like, is it going to go to two? You know, like, like we went down to three in a, literally a yeah, matter of days. I think this is a recovery more than it's a rally. This is just us bouncing back
4: yeah.
1: uh, from three, you know? Uh, so I'm not so certain that we're overballed. Um, it, like we might just kind of go sideways and not shit will happen mm-hmm. uh, for a little while. Um, I would be happy if that's happened. I mean, oh yeah, who knows? Yeah, who that. the hell knows? I've I have stopped trying to predict what the hell Bitcoin is going to do in the short run because I have it has cost me Bitcoin in the past, <laughs> and I don't <laughs> want to play that game again.
5: Yep. Well, is is it yeah. fair to say that you you guys believe? Because this is my opinion. Is it fair to say? And I, and again, I don't know if it's um if it's unfounded, but is it fair to say that you believe that in the long run, this decrease will only cause Bitcoin's price to increase? Yes. yes. I don't com- see
1: how you can get around that, to be yeah, so that honest.
5: that's. Ex- I'm glad to hear you guys say that, because that, that was like my analysis of this as well. That's why I feel so like confident about it. How? El- I mean, this is just a, a bump in the road, but in the long term, it absolutely has to increase it. Yeah.
1: If... Think about it. If, if the demand is remotely stable, a a cut in half of the new supply necessarily means an increase. Like it just, it just does. Like if there is $200,000 worth of positive demand every day, and then there's $200,000 worth of Bitcoin being, uh, being mined um, and dumped on the market, well, if that 200,000 dollars of people trying to get into Bitcoin remains right there and suddenly the amount coming out is 100,000, the only way to do that is to bid up the order books is to, is to actually fulfill orders at a higher price for, to make up the difference. Um, and
2: I mean, if supply so, and demand ex- if those concepts exist? The right. It will
1: have right. an effect. Yeah, if what
0: if, if what guy was saying doesn't exist, then my belief in the whole theory of supply and demand is just you know I don't know what to do. I mean, it's it's like we missed it, something. Yeah, it's like the most basic. Assumption of anyone in yeah,
5: economics. And, no, and I, and I agree, and I'm not contesting any of that. But you know, I was just wondering if anyone had a different analysis or had looked at it and realized that there was some factor that was going to cause it to delay, or, or just some other component that I had I had, mistaken well, or mis- overlooked.
2: I mean, the one my my one thing that i I always try to stay even keel on is like the expectation especially with uh, so much talk about all these models recently, like if we end up, you know, this time next year or Christmas of 2021 at 9,000, like that's not the end of the world. You know, I I don't think that's going to happen, but if we're not at 288,000, you know, (laughs) like it doesn't mean that it's a failure. Like, just the fact that it's not at zero every day is kind of uh, kind of crazy. The fact that people don't are not forced to hold this thing but they choose to.
0: Well what about like you talking to your family and your friends? you know. Is that is that uh is that the end of that? Well, first,
2: I mean, first off, they don't know anything about stock to flow. But <laughs> yeah, stock uh, not flow. I was just messing around. Um, now, and- the,
1: one thing, the one thing that I would say about that is that um, none of this has to be, because, because this is still all dependent on the market and the, the, the people coming in, I would be a little bit, um, I would be part way concerned, not in Bitcoin, the system, but in the market for it, if in two years we were still right around 9,000. And that's specifically because it means demand has fallen with the rate of inflation. So that what we're actually looking at is people exiting the market. Um, so like, that would be a little bit concerning, um, even though like, you know, we've had bear markets before. I think, I think bear markets in the sense of trying to find the right price during the new, um, uh, I guess you could say, inflation schedule or whatever, um, is much less of a concern, uh, but then again, none of this has to happen, and there's no telling how long it takes. You know, like conditions yeah. like coronavirus. Like if coronavirus hadn't come around, who knows what Bitcoin would be doing right now, or, or what, right. what price we would be at. Like maybe we would have had a rally into the having. We could be at twenty thousand had coronavirus not happened. But people had to yeah. dump to cover their leveraged positions. And instead, we went to three, and now we're just trying to get back up. Like, so, again, we could see 18 months of exiting for whatever reason. Like, maybe there's some other disaster, or we, we're, we're being drug along, stagnant through this try-to-prop-up debt, try-to-prop-up debt, try-to-prop-up debt, and just nobody has any capital to put into Bitcoin. We could see that. I, I, like, it wouldn't totally surprise me. It would be upsetting. Like, God, how long do we have to freaking wait for people to wake up? Um, but, uh, yeah. Um,
0: yeah. No. It, yeah it, in the response to the question asked a few minutes ago, if we didn't have the um, purported coronavirus that may or may not exist, um,
4: <laughs> oh man,
0: <laughs> you, you know, like we're going there. You know, like like, like thirteen or, or fourteen thousand dollars. You know, like if Bitcoin had just kind of continued on its trajectory. And it was on the way to the happening, then I would totally be selling right now in the the short term. Because my experience in past happening events is that it gets overblown and Mm -hmm. um, people hype it up. And then like a few weeks before the happening, the price actually peaks. But I don't know if that's happening in this situation because of the, you know, speculated coronavirus existing
2: mm-hmm. um. yeah guys I, it's, it's my fault i actually I, I hit the sell button instead of the buy button a few weeks ago oh boy and i just crashed the market
7: wow Dude. oh damn no. it's unbelievable market you ruined the having. billion.
1: you ruined the third having how do you feel about that hmm? yeah
4: yeah oh,
1: no man. but
7: like you know like like you're saying with the what would the price be if the virus hadn't happened or we weren't in the situation? Uh, I think it's interesting. Yeah. It's obviously bearish in the short term, but just the resulting financial craziness that's going on from the Fed it overall from an institutional dysfunction standpoint that could in the long term, just expedite adoption of Bitcoin. So yeah, it's, it's like, we could have had this steady increase to whatever, 14,000 or 12,000, yeah. but when we went to three, that That'll just make the, the parabolic uptrend that much steeper whenever that happens, So whether it's next yeah. year or four years away. So it's kind of one of those things where you, um, the, the balloon was going to pop anyway, just nobody thought the pin was going to be a pandemic, you know, and it just yeah. popped it earlier.
1: No, yeah, I totally agree, Um, and don't don't get me wrong, like, when I say, like, what the price could be, um, is I'd be uh, quite a bit disappointed if that happened, and I was really happy that we dipped, um, because I suddenly had money to put into it, which it's been some time since I have had actual capital to put into it, Um, and then that, in combination with Trump bucks, it was a huge opportunity to buy Bitcoin that I hadn't had in a while. Trump uh, <laughs> um but I was I, love I was ecstatic. I have never, I don't think, I have ever gone through as much paperwork as I did the day that it dropped to three thousand dollars, looking for money in <laughs> like you know five cubbies of a filing cabinet, just oh, wondering man. what retirement account I've been ignoring, what you know <laughs> profit sharing plan, what insurance thing didn't I mean I looked everywhere and I found good chunk of change that I didn't know I had which is very happy <laughs> but yeah it's I wouldn't have done the, that otherwise it's that, was, funny how that the, was great news for me
6: oh yeah it's funny how the equation works like one side of the equation in the supply and demand equation is very stable and predictable the other side is just so much entropy behind it um, you kind of predict it with the, when I'm talking about demand, you could, you could kind of predict it, but it's just so nuts how, you know, how up and down it goes and how unstable it is. So we'll see how it goes. But I, I think in general, you know, if it does, if the, if the, if the demand stays relatively the same, just, you know, as a worst, well, not a worst case, this, this is a decent scenario. The price should go up in the long term. Now, if yeah. something else happens and it causes, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, something really serious, like more worse than coronavirus, then of course, that could really affect the um, demand portion of the equation and cause a a real long-term problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the beauty of that. Oh, sorry.
0: uh, Well, I'll just just say it quickly. Yeah, like exactly how you said, like the S2F model is just a supply-based model and the supply is known and it's predictable and it's exact and the demand isn't known my my take on the variability in demand has a lot to do with people's education level mm. and particularly the education level of people who have money and people who desire to put skin in the game so that that's why the demand thing is has such much larger variability than the supply it's not because it's not because you know people's Okay, so so people's personal situations are changing a lot. You know, somebody has a kid, somebody wants to buy a house, somebody wants to buy Bitcoin, like somebody needs to sell Bitcoin because, you know, their personal situation changed. Like I get that variability in demand, but I think the much larger variability in demand is people, is some guy who has a billion dollars who says like, well, the happening might not happen because, you know, that, 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 because that Satoshi guy might decide not to do it. I mean, <laughs> like, like that sounds crazy, right? But if you talk to the average billionaire in the world, he would say that Mr. Satoshi decides whether the happening takes place or not. Yeah, the failure understand. Yeah, um, and, and that's just like a, and as soon as that billionaire understands that that's not the case – that spike in demand is fucking crazy like that that happened to me personally when i finally realized that there actually wasn't someone behind the curtain that is the day that i decided to invest everything i owned in bitcoin (laughs) but it's like the, the the people the the average person with a ton of money still thinks there's a man behind the curtain that can turn the switch off whenever he wants That's the average understanding of Bitcoin. And that's why this whole like, oh, the price reflects the information of Bitcoin. I I struggle with that theory because it's just like the average person thinks there is literally a person who can turn Bitcoin off with a switch. And that is what the price reflects is that understanding. Yeah, see, the thing is,
1: this is the beauty of actually having a system like Bitcoin where the supply is eventually static. Or that just in general the supply is so unbelievably predictable. Because the reason that's important for a money, and the reason money that has the either the like the, the hardest and most predictable supply schedule becomes the money is because any other time that you're looking at a price in the market, you're looking at the equilibrium price between supply and demand. Therefore, both of them will affect it and you never can actually get hard understanding of either one the the price inevitably has to reflect both because both of them are variable but to have a good whose supply is perfectly static all the price is measuring is demand it's a perfect measure of demand of current perception of current liquidity of all the stats of everything of the market because that supply is not moving, it's, it is that it's the inch that stays an inch, no matter what, and and when the size of the building changes or when the like when all of the other real world metrics change, then the price adjusts accordingly, because the supply doesn't move. We don't have that with any other good. that's why being able to compare all goods to it make all prices. Far more accurate, far more uh, uh, informative of reality versus um, a bunch of difficult to compare things.
0: Right. I don't don't know if I went a little bit too far
1: with that, but I'll explain.
0: Yeah, I I guess my, I'm obviously on the same page with you. I'm in this 100% too. I think when you say that the supply is what it is, is something that me and you know, and it's, it's something yeah. that Bitcoiners know. But the knowledge of the supply, that the supply is fixed, is something that's not known. So, I mean, you, you can't oh, just yeah, say- Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, but yeah, so people are like, oh, the supply of Bitcoin is fixed, therefore it's fixed. But that's not the question. The question mm-hmm. isn't whether the supply of Bitcoin is fixed. The question is whether people know that right. the supply of Bitcoin is fixed. And, and, for the price, for
1: the yeah. price and the demand, yes.
0: Yeah, well, yeah but that, that's the only thing that matters, right? I mean, like, the price is the information about something in the world, right? I mean, according to Austrian economics, the price is, has the most knowledge of something. Like, there, yeah. there is no knowledge that is greater than the price of something. And, but the price of something in Bitcoin reflects that the supply is not fixed, You know, so it it, like me and you can say we know that this that the supply is fixed, but that that that's not the case, because the price of Bitcoin reflects that the supply is not fixed because there are people in
1: the world. It reflects the demand.
0: No, 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 that's not the demand. It's it's the knowledge of the supply. So, okay, what if someone... What if no, someone, but that's the thing, though. What, is no, the- no, no, but hear me out, hear me out. Okay. What, what if someone that says, like, I have a trillion dollars here and I would invest in Bitcoin except for the fact that the supply of Bitcoin isn't fixed? And they said that, here are my reasons that the supply of Bitcoin is not fixed. Yeah. You know? And so right there, we have this knowledge of the fixed supply issue. It's not... Mm-hmm. The supply of Bitcoin, it's the knowledge that the supply is fixed. Do you,
4: do you not understand? Is, I,
1: no, I totally agree. And I'm actually trying to say that I'm, I completely agree with that statement. But that is a particular measure of demand. That is measuring a lack of demand because of the, uh, the lack of distribution of information to all participants. So that is explicitly being reflected in the price because the supply is static and that, that the supply is actually static for what's available on the market. Therefore, that trillion dollars not going into it means we have a much lower price because the supply isn't going to move. So we're measuring the fact that there are people who might buy it, but are ignorant of what it means or what it is. Um so uh, ignorance is a part of not finding de- of, of demand not reaching the market
0: so ignorance is a part of demand yes it's <laughs> it's it's
1: it's the, the anti demand
0: <laughs> it's
1: it's the other it's the flip side of demand um but uh that's why i think um uh you know when like Nick Carter or whatever uh talks about how um the market is supposed to price in the stock to flow and the new supply or whatever um is that i just don't think like that would be indicative of the fact that the market information for what the new supply schedule is going to be the fact that the supply is definitely going to get cut in half the fact that bitcoin is definitely going to survive it like all of this other information that just like you say there might be a trillionaire sitting somewhere oh (laughs) that's unlikely because (laughs) <laughs> there are a few people with trillions of dollars, but um, let's say there's a billionaire somewhere who might actually, if they knew that information, <laughs> might actually invest in Bitcoin. But right. obviously, they 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 probably don't. You know, very few people actually understand anything about Bitcoin. Um,
6: so, so we, if well, we're, that we're reality talking is about, not
1: known, then it wouldn't yeah. be priced in. You know,
6: so we we've been talking about you know, I guess stock to flow, and stock to flow might be complicated too many individuals imagine people saying that they can explain confidently our normal fiat monetary system where the demand obviously is untethered and (laughs) and the supply is untethered as well yeah both entropic you know entities you know in a formula and there's people that think that they can explain that to you confidently and they know what they're talking about. That's, that's ludicrous. So price. Yeah, so basically is like only the only
1: one I know that could really do
6: that. <laughs> who? i who's that? Uh,
1: Jay, Jameer. J- J- oh, yeah.
6: I mean, even if he told me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't believe him because like, it doesn't, it just <laughs> mathematically doesn't make any sense. Like you're using this equation with two, you know, unfixed, you know, parts, uh, two unfixed X and Y's to tell me that you're using that to predict the price of bread. Or the price of gold, it's it's insane. <laughs> yeah, it's literally well, it's, insane.
1: We know those prices are wrong, and that's part of the problem. Is that the the measurement doesn't work because um, uh, specifically because we know the supply isn't constant. So it's right. like anybody saying that the stock market is actually worth this. It's like, but we know we know we're not measuring demand for the stock market because nobody's buying like the government is printing money to buy it, to prop it up. Clearly we're not measuring demand. We're measuring what the government is doing. That's it. Right. Because the supply is shifting. We have no idea what demand is. Now we have no idea what the market equilibrium price for anything is. We don't yeah. know what it is we should have let go out of business and where we're losing money or excuse me, not money, but value where we're losing actual productive value. We have no clue. We have no clue because, the only prices we have are how much the government is willing to print for free to prop up prices.
7: <laughs> what do you guys oh. think about, yeah. um, th- I've been thinking about, you know, we, we talk often about getting the uh, the average retail investor um, educated on Bitcoin and whatnot. But the more I think about it, as time goes on, if, if the wealth gap is only growing, then I think the importance of the billionaires, the millionaires increases, because if capital is moving away from the younger generation, they're more in debt, they have less savings, less disposable income they're even though their hearts and minds are definitely what we need. We need, if we want the, if the price is going to go up, you need the people with the money. And we know that um, people who are going into retirement, heavily invested, they're going to be dumping over the next 10 to ten to 20 years, a ton of equity out of their retirement plans. Who's going to be buying this? You know, there's not the younger generation. Is not going to be here slopping company, up all it, these stock?
0: Is it company buybacks?
7: Com- well, yeah, that'll be interesting to see if if that if that continues. You know, well,
0: is that is that what has been happening? Is that why we've been seeing such a rise in company buybacks? I'm basically agreeing yeah. with, with you right now, and I'm I'm wondering if that explains why we've had so much company buybacks.
7: Oh yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where um, when you're held to quarterly as a report and you want to just see that that you're doing well as a company and they're measuring in stock i think one is due to greed like you it's just a legal loophole that you can provide capital for your leadership and then um, further your own metrics of success Um, but yeah that's just unsustainable when you when you look at the the pe ratios they just get so inflated that it doesn't that it doesn't make any sense, but the th- the point being if if we got all these people selling equities and there's not a younger generation to buy because they don't have money, maybe they'll put their money into Bitcoin instead of the stock market, but they'll have even less money to put into bitcoin, and if the wealth gap only continues to widen, then the younger generation just isn't going to have the money to put into the into the market the bitcoin market so. Well, yeah, you
1: there's, there's something to that that um, I don't think it would be as simple as they wouldn't have the money to put into it. Because remember, it's not really, it's not only that we, you know, to make the price go up and to make the, like, uh, the market grow or whatever. Um, you need people putting in money. <laughs> like, like you would It would be obviously beneficial for wealthy people to buy up a lot of Bitcoin. But at the exact same time. You also want, you want people producing and saving because the, the actual production, particularly if people are trading with Bitcoin, they're exchanging their time and their production for Bitcoin, what you want is a surplus of real value. And that's a much better floor. The millennials, the young people are going to be the only ones producing everything. The, the old people are just playing the financial game. Like, like the, the older generations are, um, they're the ones that already, quote unquote, have the capital and are loaning out against it. This propping all this stuff up on loans, the corporations and all that stuff. So I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure if I, uh,
6: I get what you're saying. Cause I mean, it's almost like yeah. we, a lot of people are falling into the trap of like, oh, we need this current financial systems blessing to make Bitcoin a success. Yeah. Well, that's not right. necessarily the success of Bitcoin. I mean, you could literally just batteries and be productive and someone can pay you directly in Bitcoin. And that's massive, that's, that's huge, yeah. if you get paid. It's not necessarily
1: Bitcoin. that we want all the people in big finance because they're not sustainable demand right. or additions to, to the actual ecosystem. That's inflation of, you know, Bitcoin's price. But if we have a productive surplus, if we have workers saving in Bitcoin, that's what we'll really put a price for and we'll put a really strong foundation under Bitcoin. Um, so we want productive people, not rich people, quote unquote.
6: Gotcha. It's interesting. Like if, someone, if, someone had one, if someone had one Bitcoin and over the span of 10 years that one Bitcoin was worth. I guess it, it jumps from maybe one thousand dollars to like five hundred k. They still have one bitcoin. And If the economy goes to just using bitcoin, it, kind of doesn't, it doesn't even matter how it inflated against the dollar at that point. If productivity is measured in bitcoin, I think that's the, the true test. Like when when things get fully, I'm sorry, fully ramped, where bitcoin is how people are getting paid. Bitcoin is how people are paying others for services i mean all that other stuff is kind of you know moot at the end of the day it's just like oh yeah it it was worth this many um whatever the soviet union was uh soviet union was using before they collapsed it was using that many of this like you still have one bitcoin it's still the same one bitcoin it's it's no different than what it was before it was just one bitcoin
7: yeah, I agree with you. I was I guess I was thinking in a shorter time frame in a in a in a more modern US dollar reserve currency environment. But yeah, in yeah. In, in that environment I can totally see that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Time frame is everything when it yeah. comes. I mean, I can't see the US dollar going away ever. Actually, I was thinking about this the other day. I was like I was like maybe a good analogy for the U.S. dollar is kind of like what pen and paper are to writing. Like, uh, I, I can't see it going away. Hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to find the analogy for the relationship between the U.S. dollar and Bitcoin in the world where Bitcoin becomes the dominant international settlement layer. Um, like, they- no, I still think we'll have currencies,
1: national currencies and stuff.
0: So, will it just be like the currency for suckers?
1: (laughs) Um, No, um, it will be the currency with counterparty risk. Um, It'll be like banknotes.
0: What about
1: about taxes? uh, Yeah, they'll probably require it in their currency. Like, that's kind of what makes a nation, a nation, you know, like, that they have that control. They won't have nearly the freedom to manipulate their currency. Because the thing is, is that people will value it based on, in a Bitcoin standard world, they'll value it based on its relation to Bitcoin, like its price in Bitcoin. So so will employers will be very limited in their monetary policy.
0: So will employers be required to pay salaries in the U.S. dollar currency, or will they be allowed to pay out in Bitcoin? Um, well... That depends
1: on like what stage we're talking about in the monetization of Bitcoin. Yeah.
0: Because that's a huge uh the thing jump. is is
1: in hyper bitcoinization, like like I would see that we would still use the dollar, but the dollar would be a fixed amount of Bitcoin in the treasury.
7: So like, the digital would gold be,
1: standard. It would be the reserve, except that the the complication, the barrier to simply exiting the dollar is tiny. Like if you wanted to move $100 million out of dollars into gold, well, they can get away with screwing tons of people because you can't do that. It takes forever. It's hugely expensive. Moving it is a nightmare. Like you can not to handle that much money in gold. It sucks. But if you can just issue a transaction, even if it's 50 bucks, like that's nothing. Like a bank run can happen in seconds, like can happen in three blocks as opposed to three years. Um, And because of that, they don't have any real power over it. They have to keep it strict reserve or people will just be like, well, I'm not going to hold this right now. They just drop their reserves 10% and then the value of the currency drops 10% in a matter of hours. Um, Like, so it's just, just like the gold standard, most people will still use to I me, mean, just like most people still use or like old people still use analog phones. They run on the internet. They don't know that. But it's not the same infrastructure at all. But they're still using the same thing. They're still pricing things in the same looking currency, they still have the, the bills or whatever. But it's only worth something if they can guarantee some Bitcoin behind it.
6: Right. It's almost like a, you know, you're in a third world country. Well maybe not a third you can use even use Europe like i mean you're getting paid in euro and it's getting settled i mean obviously the europe uh uses the u.s dollar to to settle stuff Mm -hmm. um if the u.s dollar becomes more there's more demand for the u.s dollar that employer that employee in in europe who's getting paid a certain amount sees his euro get diminished he's gonna ask for a raise he's gonna ask for some more money so he can you know, attain more U.S. dollar or be at yeah. least decent uh, against the U.S. dollar. It's going to be the same thing with Bitcoin. I mean, we'll have the U.S. dollars. We get paid in U.S. dollars if, you know, employers want to do that. Um, and we're going to look at Bitcoin like, hey, I, it kind of went up. I, I, need a, I need a raise guy. I mean, you got you to help me out <laughs> <there>. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful. That it happens i think they will quickly. i
1: think it's one of those things that they'll exist in name only like the important thing will be how they relate to bitcoin but they will exist only if that peg is static yeah. like uh, only if they have an equal amount of reserve but just like i think the go- i think a good way of using it is like payment networks like payment systems like you technically don't have the dollar anymore when you use Visa. You have a Visa point that is equal to a dollar. So you're betting on the fact that they will, they will pay that back, that at the other end of it, like it's worth a dollar still. But if the company goes other, under in the middle of the transaction, well, then it's gone. You didn't, you didn't have anything. Um, and in the same way, the currency, you might use one dollar but what's important about the value of that dollar is how much Bitcoin it is. So,
0: all right, all right. Anyway. So, what about awesome. this? What about this future where there's kind of us, and then there's the normies, and the, <laughs> we know that the U.S. dollar is secretly pegged to Bitcoin, and the normies have the kind of I don't know patriotic understanding that the U.S. dollar is their own form of money and the government never admits that the U.S. dollar is pegged to Bitcoin. Don't you think that's going to happen?
1: I mean, maybe, but it just means that those are the ones holding the bag whenever their monetary policy changes. So it's just like, you know, I mean, it just sucks. Like the government screwing part of the population that doesn't understand what's going on. When was that?
0: You know, that's new. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, but yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't yeah. doubt
1: that that's part of our future. <laughs>
0: that sucks though, man. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it I, does. I don't know. I, I really can't. I can't figure out how the evolution is going to go. Like the transition to the Bitcoin standard is not going to be easy. And it sucks that this is going to be my life. <laughs> like my life is going to be this tumultuous transition from fiat currency to bitcoin and so any thoughts of me having some calm peaceful life are just not there because i've been required to be present during this freaking transition mm. so maybe i cool got a, to look at it yeah maybe no maybe that got a little too deep but yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm, so, I, I'm so invested in this that, like, this is what I signed up for. And that just means yeah. that, like, I'm not going to have peace. You know, it, it feels like being on the boat, going to the new world of America and having to start this up. It's just, like, you've decided that, like, you're on the ship that's bringing about this new kind of world order. And that means that, like, you've signed up to not have a happy, peaceful life.
6: There's no such thing as peace.
1: I say it. I see it as. uh, (laughs) Yeah.
6: Yeah. Something to the dark side. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: Sometimes I, uh, I kind of feel pessimistic and like I, I I can get kind of stuck thinking about it that way. And
0: I think there's a. That's not not pessimistic. I mean, it's optimistic in a way.
1: Well, that's that's the thing though, is that like I think like at the same time that it's like. I won't have I won't get to live through a really peaceful time. It's also like, (laughs) you get to see the greatest period of change. Yeah, Yeah. you know, like, like, we get to witness it. And then at the same time, without change, there's no opportunity either. And with great change, there's great opportunity. Yeah. Um, So like the potential, and and also the reason for this change, but everyone's gonna reason there's for a while. <laughs> yeah, they already hate me and I tell them <laughs> voting is stupid. Um, so, whatever. Um <laughs> but uh
0: that's that's uh, that's the price of hodling. People are people are like, "Oh yeah." That's the price of hot, hodling. Like hodling, hoarding, you know, you're not working. No. It's not easy. No, yeah, right. It is not easy to huddle.
6: You know what crossed my mind? So during the period of gold in America, where gold was, you know, you're able to to hold gold as an American citizen, were the gold holding people hated, and was it that was that the reason why it was so easy for the government to just take it away from you know those people because everyone was was convinced that you know if you have gold you're a bad person.
1: There was propaganda during the uh, during the Great Depression that they were hurting the economy. Mm. Um and that and there was definitely <laughs> there was definitely wow. a uh, let's hate these people um to excuse the confiscate gold confiscation act because they need to they need to do their part in wow. uh, bringing us out of this mess. Yeah. No. No. Without a doubt. Yeah. yeah you're so and everybody f- who doesn't have gold will buy into that shit. No problem because they're they're hurting and they're like, why is this person safe?
6: Yeah. You, you too and your self loathing just brought me to that that theory, I'm, I'm glad that uh, it made sense, that it actually seemed to happen.
5: Wow. What's
1: up with
6: what's up with I'm just joking with you. Well,
1: you gotta I'm think just... about it, something is only politically possible if people are resigned to it, you know? Yeah. Like, like they have to, to some degree, uh, approve of it, um, at least, for enough reason to not, you know, riot over it um, in order for it to actually work. So anything that they do, they have to try incredibly hard to demonize the version that would the version of the world if they didn't do it. So whatever that is, whether it's people having gold and not having to pay for all of their bullshit. Um, they have to make that look like the bad guys, so that they are the good guy. It's yeah. The only way to do it.
0: Mm.
4: Man, some deep stuff.
0: stuff. Yeah, I mean the, the libertarian stuff is so meta. It's like yeah. I, I li- I've lived most of my life just thinking of, you know, my personal situation, and then <laughs> meta. Like, yeah, it is. It is. No, meta, I get it. It's just,
4: yeah. it's just funny
0: because you have to transition to like you know what if someone else made a different choice in their life um yep. you know what it, what does society have to like keep that person you know from becoming wealthy i mean it's like the ethics of that is just i don't know it, i mean i don't think the libertarian perspective on the world is perfect but i definitely think it's the best we have yeah, it's, it's just pretty practical
1: uh, It's just looking at it at, it's, it's stepping back and not trying to micromanage it's, it's not missing the forest for the trees. Mm -hmm. Um, It's attempt to look back and look at the fundamental pieces because it's the closer we get, the more out of focus it is, you know, the closer you get to the puzzle piece, the less you see of the real, the whole damn puzzle. Um, And so like you start making decisions or changing things without even knowing what the hell you're doing. Um, or what you're looking at. And it's it's such a huge, organic, complex system that the only way to make any sense of it is to just deal with the base principles and assume the rest is a consequence of that. Like fix the incentives, make sure that you're not screwing with any of the basic axioms of society and of supply and demand and then the market's going to figure out the rest because we're too stupid to go any further than
4: that.
1: <laughs> yeah. um, let people make their own damn decisions.
0: Yeah. I mean, the the reason I said meta is because it's a transition like that. You have to go from your own situation to the kind of global rule of law. And I don't, yeah. I don't mean to make this sensational here, but I remember being in my early twenties and realizing this about the abortion debate where it was like, cause I was talking to someone and they were like, Oh, I'm, you know, I would never have abortion. And I, I think that's terrible. Therefore I'm pro-life, you know, but you know, if someone else wants to, that's fine. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, that, that is such this like gray area in between what you think about the world and what you think other people should think about the world. And it's like, when you're talking about government regulations, are you talking about what you think about the world or are you talking about what you think everyone should think about the world? And so Mm -hmm. it's like, can, can someone who's, can someone who says, I think abortion is, horrible and unethical and I would never have one. And I think anyone who has abortion is going to hell, but people can do what they want. Therefore I'm pro-life. Like what what kind of statement is that? I mean is that is that a statement of pro-life or pro-choice? You know, it's 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 that's what I mean by going yeah. to the the libertarian meta space is that like all of a sudden you're not talking about what you want you're not you're just talking about this kind of abstract layer of what other people are allowed to want
6: yeah you are um, respecting the individual and not the state so right well point. what's
1: funny with what's funny about that is that the way you put that is that you have to think to you have to think externally to yourself is that for the principles that are based on the individual perspective are actually the only way to properly think about the collective. Mm -hmm. Whereas the supposed collectivists are all, rather than stepping back and objectively looking at the collective from their individual axioms, from their individual, like, their individual truths, They are doing the opposite. They are projecting their individual preferences onto the collective. They're trying to make the collective whatever they are. Um, And that's so funny is that like the libertarian is really the collectivist. They're the ones that actually want the collective to decide our path. They want them to actually have some semblance of control and decision making about what they do because I know as an individual that I can't figure it all out for them that it's not my business to tell them how to live their lives or what to do with their dishes or you know who gives a shit i don't know yeah
7: i think it comes back to just morality it's like everyone's morality is different and there's no way that anyone can objectively prove what is morally right or wrong and when there is no common ground to come back to it's it's just gonna fall apart into inconsistencies no matter what you do and there's just no getting around that. But uh, human nature naturally feels certain way about certain things, whether it be murder or um, infidelity or just betrayal in general. But yeah, it's just it's just this this construct, this system that's brought up of uh, of rules that um, we prescribe to the to the overall group. I think it's a
1: little bit less that there's. Um, there's not an objective morality and more that there are only certain moralities that can be applied universally that can both be true for me and for you at the exact same time that do not contradict each other. Um, So, and, and that's why it's, it's kind of a, it's less an admission that there's no objective view of, rea- of, of morality and more a, what is the lowest common denominator of morality that allows us to both live at the same time? So what is it that mm-hmm. says, I can't like, that's why you end up with just the most basic, don't kill me, I won't kill you. Like, like it, it's, it's essentially the golden rule down, like at the very core, that's, that's, the only, that's the only thing is what can you believe and engage in that I can also believe and engage in and, or, or uh, like what morality can I have about the world um, as well as yours in which we are not at each other's throats. <laughs>
4: um,
1: uh, that we can live together as a society rather than uh, in contest
0: with one another. like yeah.
1: At the expense of each other.
0: Man, along along those lines, this—not to make this weird, but this conversation of the <laughs> the, the coronavirus. It's already weird. Who cares? Um, <laughs> <laughs> this conversation of the coronavirus and people's knowledge about the spreadability and the death rate having some impact on the non-aggression p- principle. God, I think, I think is super difficult for libertarians because it's not just whether something is aggressive or not it's whether someone thinks something is aggressive right. or not yeah. and you know i'm one of these weirdos that thinks that the coronavirus isn't as big a deal as people make it up to be but you know when i go go to the grocery store Half of the people in there think that you know the coronavirus is the most spreadable, and you know it ha- half the people that get it die, and you know it's like, you know, this black death. What, yeah, so it's seriously it's, right. So it, that's what those people think. So, in their opinion, I'm being very aggressive mm-hmm. by, by not wearing a mask, and it's like, yeah it's back to this thing where I was talking about with the supply of Bitcoin. It's not any kind of objective fact about the world. The only thing that matters is people's, uh, you know, feelings or understanding about whether something is aggressive or not. You know, yeah. the, the non-aggression principle, you know, imagines this objective understanding of aggressive.
1: It's it, well, I don't think it totally relies on the fact that there's an objective definition, just that there is at least a very broad set of things. Like, like I think all of it is a series of, it's a spectrum, right? So there's not exactly this thing that is light and then exactly this thing that is ultraviolet. It's just gets closer to one or the other, so. Um, and that at the extremes, you can basically make the laws and the whole point of society is to figure out what those gray areas are, to work it out for a situation, to work it out and make decisions or judgments based on the people who were part of that situation or had skin in the game, like, like to let those decisions work themselves out. But where I think the people get wrong, um, I've, I've seen that exact same thing, though, is everybody talking about how like probabilistic murder, if you're out and somebody gets close to you or coughs on you or something.
4: Had this, this little busting murder. Oh my god!
1: Yeah, dude. I've that's someone said that. For me. Oh yeah, yeah. um wow. I've seen that a couple times. Unbelievable. Um, but uh, uh wow. I see it as people misinterpreting aggression, I- equating because they're afraid in both situations,
4: mm-hmm. is
1: equating risk with aggression. What's happening is that you have an increased risk in your environment. The, the risk of being alive and being out around people has suddenly increased and you don't want to admit that risk is new, a new part of reality. So any attempt to just be normal is a recognition that that risk has increased. It's a, oh my God, the risk is definitely higher now because you're being a normal person, you know, getting close to me and breathing on me and all this stuff. What's really is that you're, you're, you're still going into society and accepting, well, not accepting actually, the fact that there is a far greater risk now in going out into society. And it's the same mentality that has us as the stock market, the uh, government buy up all the damn stock market for us. We don't wanna believe that there's risk in the world. We just want to do everything that we can. We're so afraid of risk that we will paper over it in every possible way, down to locking people in their houses and saying that if you get close to me, you might be murdering me because (laughs) there is risk in the world. It's risky to go out and be alive and talk to people and shake hands. It always fucking was. But as soon as it becomes apparent, people are like, you're attacking me. Um, And and it just, God, it's, it's a constant. Just let's pretend there's no risk in the world. And anytime it shows up, how can we cover it up so that we can go about our daily lives and be drunk and blind and just assume that we can? It causes all this misallocation of resources, it causes people to beat each other's throats just because you breathe on me. you know? Like it just, uh I
4: don't know, it's frustrating.
6: <laughs> 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 yeah, another, another, also piece to that is the, oh, I, I mean, yeah, I've been, like, I've I, I told you guys, I've, I've been uh, listening to your, and I mean, state readings, but uh, Murray, Murray Rothbard,
1: <laughs> he said you listened to that like a yeah, couple five times. times, I'm not, I'm
6: not, yeah. I mean, it's embarrassing, but it's some good <laughs> stuff, but uh, I mean, it's some good concepts, because I think right now is the, as we rounded up the intellectuals. And you know, Murray Rothbard uh, talks about the intellectuals being used to, you know, mold how people think and how people make opinions. Basically, stealing our, you know, individualism. Um, with the coronavirus, the intellectuals basically told us exactly what this thing was, and a lot of people did not even think about it on their own or. Walk through the process on their own, and we were basically told everything that we need to do to protect ourselves, protect our loved ones, and prevent ourselves from um, you know being murdered by people walking close to us. And um, <laughs> I think it's just I think it's just really uh, really sad. And um, you know I, I just hope that I don't know what people have to do to wake up from the matrix. But uh, it's 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 really tough at this point, and really 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 grim to see Thomas, all these opinions get molded so easily.
1: Dude, I, I'm I'm gonna watch watch. I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna read uh common sense uh-huh. about the American independence. Um, uh, not the what what Parker Lewis was referencing in that article. Um, mm. but I think I'm gonna read it because that opening like paragraph talking about how time makes more converts than reason. Um, and yeah, that, that's, that's really, I think what's key to all this is that this is just something that just takes time to unravel. We're having an identity crisis. Um, and we're having to come to terms.
0: For, for what it's worth. Yeah. That, that, that jumped out at me in Parker Lewis's thing that time is more influential than reason. So good. And, and also um, that Bitcoin is the fastest growing asset in history. Yeah. The, those two things put together just kind of gave me a little um, calmness about what's happening. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just meant to.
1: Oh, no, no. I totally. That, that's yeah. what I was going to say.
0: <laughs> um,
1: yeah. Is that it's, it's just a matter of time. You know, like we just have to wait and the shit will work itself out but right now we're having a bit of an identity crisis and all this risk that we tried to pretend wasn't in the world. We did showed up anyway. Um, and now we're having to deal with it and because of that, people are extra scared and extra having to deal with it. But the younger generations, like as this becomes a part of reality, like, they'll just be the ones, after people come to terms with it, it would just be kind of funny when the government starts saying that, yeah, we're going to make all this risk go away. It's like, no, you're not. Well, you know, we know you're full of shit. Like, when did that ever work? Like, the, the world has been insane the whole time I've been here. We've had, like, three huge, you know, debt collapses. We had a currency crisis. We had a pandemic. You guys aren't prepared for shit. I'm not buying into your program.
0: <laughs> yeah.
4: So yeah.
1: yeah. I think it'll just come with time.
0: I feel like there's an element of domestication in this like yeah. yeah. Um the kind of modern western first world way of seeing the world is that everything has been domesticated. And there's no real risk in the world anymore. And just like the realization that no, actually there's a lot of uncertainty in the world.
4: Mm
6: -hmm.
0: It's just not very well received because like the process of Western expansion or just, the process of de- development of the Western world has been to kind of domesticate the wilderness and to kind mm-hmm. of make the unknown known. And I feel like the modern mainstream Normie understanding of the world is that the world has been domesticated and that the world is known. And, and it's just not true. Yeah. And, it, and that's just not true. Right. And it's, that's awesome. Yeah. Have you been reading something
1: it. about that lately?
0: No, this or is all that, you know, I have a hard time. Like it, I, I've just thought that, but you know, I, I read everything all day. I mean, I listen to your podcast all day long. It, it, it's hard for me to differentiate like what are my ideas versus what I've heard. But Yeah i mean that's a
1: good that's a really good way to put that 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 would like make a great chapter in the great disillusionment like how the fact that we're just like losing um you know we're losing that sense of that sense of shared truth even though it was a lie like we're just finding out that it was and like part of that is that we thought we just had everything under control yeah you know, we just thought we domesticated that shit. All the risk was gone. And it was just, it was just an accounting error. Like it was just, we were just cooking the books and pretending that all of it wasn't there. Um, and then yeah. we had to find out all at once. Um, that's like, that's a great, great parallel to the fact that this happening in our media, it's happening in our uh, you know national identity and stuff at the same time, but just in a general sense. We just thought we had this shit under wraps, you know, nature, yeah. nat- natural world doesn't mean shit to us. We got cities, you know,
7: no, you. I, I've seen that. And it, like, I don't know, in the past five years for whatever reason, I've been thinking a lot more about death and just how the the concept of it and awareness of it was just so different, you mm-hmm. know, 200, 300 years ago, where yeah. half of of children born didn't see the age of 10. And yeah. it's like you learned how to deal with death. I think it may have just been a result of um, reflecting on my own childhood and the the impact that death had on, on me or just it, young children in general. Like if, if you have no concept of death, uh, then if your a, a grandparent died, it would be literally like you standing in front of me right now and then literally disappearing. It's like, what just happened (laughs) like you just never see yeah and and it's just one of those things where we try to we try to hide reality hide nature hide risk um from from kids as you grow up and and you just don't know how to deal with it or what kind of context to put it in when you get older when obviously you do experience it because i've also noticed a lot of friends that just don't lose loved ones until they're in their 20s or something which is insane but yeah it's just it goes across risk overall that um you just don't the idea of protecting the younger generation from it to such an extreme degree is you don't even learn how to manage it as a kid um, whereas in the, in the old days, I mean, you were in the middle of it, you know, of, of participating in the risk. Of course, not one hundred percent, but you had responsibilities as a, as a kid and whatnot. And just how distant that era and that kind of thinking is from today.
6: Yeah, it's like um, yeah. my boy who blocked me on Twitter recently, Nassim Nassim Taleb. Uh, uh-huh. talks about uh fool by randomness and anti fragility, and also how modernity. He calls it modernity, but um how people who think that modernize being modernized is a great basically what, what Jimmy said is, is a great thing when in reality it's actually fragilizing, you know, everyone. It's it's really a deep concept and um you know, it's just that that inner voice that we have as, you know, human beings where we just want to tame the world. And, you know, once we actually convince ourselves that the world is tamed, that's we're at our, our greatest danger. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting concept.
1: Bro. Dude, if you're, uh, if you're still a little charged about the uh, Taleb uh, blocking you or whatever, you might really, really enjoy an article. Uh, I haven't finished it yet. It's like, I think it's like 30 pages or something. Like, it's like kind of a tiny book.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um, but uh, it's called A Tale of Two Taleb's.
6: I heard it. It's about talking that.
1: about the, yeah. the the vast difference between uh, Nassim Taleb, the uh, author, and Taleb, the Twitter jackass. The dude <laughs> lost, his
6: little... mind. He lost his and, mind. Uh, and I'm it's sorry.
1: really good. It's really good. But I'm. It, it's it's kind of funny at the same time that it's like actually a pretty good, like, uh, it's a pretty thoughtful assessment. Yeah. Like like it's not even just like kind of like just playful, I'm going to pick on him sort of thing, which it easily could have been. Um, It's actually pretty objective in what it's doing. And and I'm really enjoying it because I was, I was uh, reading it at the exact same time that I was listening to to Taleb's book. So, so
0: yeah, really fun. (laughs) I have to, I have to chime in here because I'm not trying to be that guy that said I was into it before it was cool, but like, I really, (laughs) I, I really was in 2003. In 2004, I was the biggest Nassim Taleb fan. Like, 2004. Yes. What did yes. he come out with in 2004? It's fooled by randomness and okay. like a drunkard's walk. It's so good. And like Holy shit. like these things. Like as soon as because I was trying to predict the stock market at this time, mm-hmm. I was writing these artificial intelligence programs to try to predict the stock market, and I was just getting so frustrated. And then, like, I read Nassim Taleb who told me about fooled by randomness and it just totally changed my whole philosophical opinion about statistics and stuff like that. And like, I I have been the biggest Nassim Taleb fan for ages, (laughs) like, and like at least 10 years, you know, and I've followed everything he's done. And when Bitcoin came out, it was the biggest curiosity to me in the world that Taleb was not 1000% behind Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't understand it. When he wrote the forward to Safening's book, mm-hmm. it gave me like a little bit of hope. Actually, when I heard that he wrote it, I was like, okay, he gets it. But then when I actually read his forward, I was disappointed because he didn't seem to actually understand Bitcoin and the, that, that forward. And the more I think about it, and I might regret saying this, the more I think about Taleb, I think that he wanted, he has a ton of money. He has fuck you money. He always talks about the fact that he has fuck you money and he can say whatever he wants. But I think actually what Taleb wanted to be known for was the world's greatest philosopher. Yeah, he said that. Not a rich guy. And, And then, but the thing is that the philosophy of Bitcoin is way more intellectually interesting than anything Taleb had to say, mm-hmm. and I think he is like infinitely jealous of this. Yeah, um, you and know, he, I and have he just say, doesn't know what to do about it.
1: I have to say, I think um, I think there's actually a degree of truth in the like part of the hypothesis, I guess you could say, of the tale of two Talebs. Is that what Taleb is good at? Is explaining ideas that are already out there. Um, is that like basically the the thing is is that he's just brilliant at making it understandable in very simplistic terms. Some of these thousand years old year old but very deep and nuanced concepts, yeah. and he can just like like just kind of you know straight new yorker just explain it to you mm-hmm, you're like no right. this is just what it is this is the way shit is right yeah. um but that it's but that he,
0: he never thought about what money is. is he like Taleb well, see, the thing is never, they're never they're thought about ideas. what money is no but i don't think Taleb yeah. even ever thought about what money is and i think Potentially, he's, no like, i think he's so embarrassed about that he I mean, never had to. i think it's
1: just that he didn't have know. Uh, yeah. He uh, like like one of the things he talks about in the in the um, article or whatever is that like he has a he has an awful case of I made this of uh, <laughs> thinking that he's the greatest philosopher in the world and that he came up with all of these philosophies because he discovered all of these philosophies and then explained them like when when it's like he found them from other people uh, right. and he's brilliant at explaining them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, because of that Bitcoin is new territory you know there's a it's lot totally new
0: like, it's bit, totally
4: new yeah. territory
0: Bitcoin is not explained by any philosophy of the past yeah. and that's very yeah, you helpful. gotta figure
1: that shit out for yourself you, have to figure you gotta it figure out, out for how those philosophies apply
4: yeah. you know
0: like because there is
1: a lot that goes into it but like It's a gamble, you know, because it's all an experiment. We don't really know which philosophy properly applies and in what way and what money is. We're not really seeing that many monetization events to even have a good history to go by. This is all fucking new territory, you know? Like we're all really in the dark.
0: I I have a question for Taleb. By the way, CoinPackets, I want to hear about how he blocked you, but I have a very simple question (sighs) for Taleb. Is Bitcoin a black swan? Has he answered that? That's
6: a good question. I don't right. think I haven't seen that direct question to him, so I don't know.
0: Isn't that a very, like, simple question that he should have addressed? I mean, it's got to be. I think so, it is. It's got to be. Well, I
7: mean, talking about Bitcoin? People pretty much predicted something like Bitcoin in the 90s. I forget, in the 80s. Like, okay. Yeah, but I don't people, think
1: they
7: understood it plug. in the um, – uh, they
1: predicted the fact that we that's have an a great e-cash. question. That's, that's the thing is It's a simple
0: question too. Yeah.
1: Even the general, even the general like goal of Bitcoin, like remember Satoshi was one of the cypherpunks and he followed DigiCash and Hashcash cash and, uh, you know, e-money and all these things. Um, what they were trying to do was way to make payments in value, uh, that were anonymous, they were private. They were trying to figure out how to have a way to do commerce without having to rely on somebody else, like without giving up all your, without a third party, without third party. And when he figured that out, when Satoshi figured out how to fix that, what he realized that he had to go all the way down to the very base the monetary policy without the foundation without the actual money being independent there was no way to get independence anywhere else like there's no way to like go up into the banking system and make anonymous transactions on the banking system if you don't know anything about your money so he had to reinvent the money and that's what's crazy is that um like in trying to solve like a second order or a third order problem he had to go all the way back to the foundation and just completely reinvent the whole game. Um, but in the yeah. sense of like it being a black swan, that's why I think it's a black swan. Yeah, we all thought that there was going to be e cash of some sort and that eventually we'd be making quote unquote payments online. But I don't think anybody really understood the implications or the idea that we could have a scarce money, a scarce, like has all the characteristics of a metal in the digital world. You know, like like that it can just be completely finite and there's nothing anybody can do about it. And there's nobody that runs it. Um, and it's just a completely independent protocol for money, money in the digital space. Um, and I don't think the full implications of that were ever predicted or understood. I think people thought, yeah, we'll have payments on the Internet. Like, yeah. I, I kind of think that's really as far as most of it went.
6: It's, it's, maybe, it's, maybe
1: not. I don't know.
6: It's a, that's a hard, that's a hard question, honestly, to me. I think, you know, his definition of a black swan is something that, you know, we just did not see coming. Like, he used that turkey analogy, like, you know, I'm getting good food from these, these people, they're giving me food. And yeah, you know, the next morning, i it's Thanksgiving, I get shot up and diced into pieces. I did not see that coming. Like, Bitcoin, <laughs> you technically did not see this one coming, even with, you know, e-gold and e-cash and all these things that are coming out, like. The Bitcoin itself, like that success, like people didn't even think that these things could be successful, let alone on top of that. So it's like the fact that it's moving, chugging along, and it's stable and it's a rival to like really old traditional assets and currencies. I don't think anyone has saw it coming. And I think, and I still think there's a lot of people out here who have yet to realize that, <laughs> which is crazy to me. Um, but I'll get yeah. to, I mean, if you guys want to know how I got blocked, um, oh yeah 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 just real quick yeah. i mean it 's funny because he was getting it was more coronavirus related, but you know he was getting into a heated altercation with safety and i was I was kind of challenging him myself because you know Taleb was really talking about like you know Sweden and um, the u k and I mean this was in, like beginning of March like the u k didn 't do any lockdowns early until Boris got freaking uh, coronavirus, mm-hmm. but before then he was criticizing them saying that, hey you know, these guys are idiots. They're going for the herd immunity approach. That's the dumbest thing in the world. You have to understand tail risk and how, you know, these things can explode and can lead to black deaths, all these things. And this is not a black swan, by the way. This has been seen in history before. If you don't take precautions, you're dead. Everyone's going to die. I'm paraphrasing, but that's generally his gist of his tweet storm. So I replied to him and said, dude, doesn't this go against your logic of, you know, randomness and answer fragility? Because like, Herd immunity is randomness at work, actually helping out humanity. I mean, that's the point of herd immunity. Everyone's exposed to it. Eventually, so we all build immunity and, you know, we end up being okay. I know a lot of people die, yes, but the end result is herd immunity. That's great. Um, And he he replied and said, (laughs) basically a warning and said, I block idiots. That was it. And I wasn't blocked though. I guess it was just a warning. So I was like, oh, shit, what the hell? This guy has lost his mind. So safety, uh, later on, this was like um, late April, safety was going um, on his tirade about, hey, you know, these people talking about, you know, all these exponential tail drops and, and risks and all this stuff. They don't know what the hell they're talking about because there's signs that we could have had coronavirus in the United States since November last year or earlier than that. And um, yeah. he was going through that that uh, whole tirade. So I went in, and um, later I found out that he got blocked by by, by um, Nasim Talib because because of that threat. Safety got blocked by Nasim Talib because Nasim Taleb chimed in, and Safety was an asshat and replied back to him, and then it was a block after that. <laughs> so I was like, "Oh shit, you got blocked." I was like, "Keep up the good fight." I I just replied to the threat like, "Hey, keep up the good fight, Safety. I mean, I like what you're saying." And then right after I wrote that post, it wasn't very long. It was like 15 minutes or less. I went to check <laughs> the same celeb's uh, response, and it said he, I was blocked. I was like, "Oh shit, this guy is audited. Like he doesn't play around. Like, he's he. I don't know how you maintain a Twitter profile like that. I could barely maintain my couple thousand followers. <laughs> like he has like almost a million. He's like gleaning people off the list. I'm like, wow, you're that's really impressive. But it didn't really bother me because I was like. You know, I'd really do like Nassim Taleb's, um, you know, style of explaining things, but it's like, he's a human being as mm-hmm. well as, I mean, this this falls into the randomness theory as well. Like, no one's perfect. There, people are going to do some stupid, irrational yeah. shit all the time. So it's like, all right, block me. Let's, we'll see how that works out for you in the long run. You know, <laughs> we'll see. It's also,
1: I think he's, I think he's um, misconstruing uh, the fact that you understand the theory with the fact that or with the, the presumption that that means we know how to apply this theory perfectly when the application is where all of it goes wrong. It's in the final inter- interpretation of how it, how, it reflect, how reality is actually reflecting this theory. And I think one of the things, just in the nature of his comment, is the, the presupposition that if the government isn't locking down everything and literally putting the whole country on house arrest, That that necessarily means absolutely nothing is changing. Mm -hmm. Like, that's retarded. (laughs) Like that doesn't mean that at all. In fact, Sweden is a great example. They did no forced lockdowns, but they still had an 80% drop in retail traffic. Yeah. Like 80%. They didn't do anything, but they had an 80% shift in behavior. Mm -hmm. So because of that they're actually going to the they had small businesses that actually managed to hang on and could deal with you know just getting by for a couple of weeks or a couple of months for the people who are willing to take the risk for the people who are 16 years old and 21 years old and don't really care that much and it's not killing them anyway like if they're if they're going to take the risk and you know actually spend some money and get some work done yeah we should let people do that um but yeah i think i think in that was the Just the ridiculous assumption that the the one action of the government is the only action. We're just gonna ignore the whole rest of the world and all the people and all the decisions and all the jobs, everything. That is just, it's the government. It's the only decision that makes any difference and is any action at all in the economy.
6: (laughs) Ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, he kept on referencing China. It's like, look how well China did. And, uh, I, do know, well. I mean, I, I have nothing against China. I think I still think that we do China really dirty when it comes to the media. But obviously, we can we can all pretty much bet good money that China did not do that great with the coronavirus. Right. Um, and he just kept on referencing in his in his model and all these models he kept on referencing. And I'm like, dude, you're you're literally saying that the base of your models is, is China's lockdown and draconian enforcements. Is the model to success? No. I don't, I don't know, man. That's that's not even for me who is sympathetic to China a little bit. That's hard to that's hard to ring and swallow.
1: When when you when your argument is that the most authoritarian government was the when you're praising them yeah. when literally we have video of them welding apartment doors shut <laughs> and cementing people into their houses. Like in carrying people out who are, you know, just suspected or higher risk, and beating them and dragging them out of their house, like that. If that's your example of success, <laughs> like I don't know what the hell.
6: I gotta that see sounds... this image or video so welding.
1: <laughs> yes, have you not seen some of the shit no. that came out of there? Oh Holy,
6: god, that's incredible. It <laughs> but they yeah, anything that, but a freaking that, example that, of that dynamic
0: yeah. yeah, I was, I was just going to say that dynamic between like Saifuddin and Taleb, I think is so interesting. Like, how often does someone write the foreword to someone's book only yeah. to get blocked on Twitter like a year <laughs> later? Um, that I think it's kind of natural
1: for their personalities. They're the two yeah. most stubborn people I know on Twitter. Like, so if they had any disagreement at all, <laughs>
4: like, of course, they were going to hate <laughs> each other. There was just a small, there was a
1: short period of peace before that happened that culminated in him writing the forge for Zephanine, but it, there was no way for that relationship to end
0: except unhappily. <laughs> That's hilarious. That
6: so shit.
0: I, I have, so this might relate to your kind of business model ideas in life guy, but. So I have now paid two hundred dollars to Safadine to take his two um economics courses. He's got mm-hmm. a microeconomics course and a macroeconomics course. And they've been um, two hours a week for ten weeks, both courses. And I think this is the best money that I've ever paid, man. Hell oh, uh, really? no. I gotta sign up it, for that shit. Just you- getting <laughs> Like just getting Safedine's just raw, uninterrupted opinions and feelings <laughs> stuff for like two hours a week has been like the best money I've ever spent. That is like awesome. hilarious. Like seriously, he yeah, uh, he, he really he's he's more of a anar- anarchist like um Austrian economist than you are, to be honest. I actually okay, so there's I'm not trying to make this personal, but hey. There's some things that, there, there's mouth. some things that I think, <laughs> there's some things that I think you explain better than him, like the money growing on trees example. And also oh, yes, your, that's the best compliment also, I've ever gotten. Yeah. No, also your brother's analogy of the, the cars. Uh, what was that thing that I messaged you about? About the cars and the, the vacation not being available for, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I love that those things too. are things. Yes, yeah, so, but anyway, you explain those things better than Safenine does in his courses, but there's a lot of things that Safenine explains like so good. Um so anyway, like some somebody commented on your thread that Safenine was going to go down um like the fall from graces that we've seen from Gavin Anderson and uh, Trace Mayer and stuff like this. But oh mm-hmm. but I don't agree because Yeah, I'm not so sure. Yeah, because these, these falls from graces are usually because of someone selling out for shit coinery or for endorsement or being co opted by some federal agency or something like this. Like people don't fall from grace because of standing behind principles, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
1: that's actually, I was, I was literally, those were the exact thoughts that were going through my head, is that even if it gets to the point where, like, a lot of people are disagreeing with him, I think Safedine's, quote unquote, fall from grace. Well, the reason it won't be a fall from grace is because he'll be adhering to his principles in a completely diehard way. Um, right. So it'll be even like J.W. Like Weatherman. Him, yeah. Yeah. Even if people disagree with him, th- I think they'll still respect him for being for not contradicting. Like, right. like there will it's be exactly. a degree of right. a hated a hated respect, like like a grudging respect for him. Essentially, yeah. um, it'll be it's because all the other ones gave up their principles and like all these principles that they touted forever suddenly were worth nothing when we're selling Mimble Wimble or when you know uh i think we need a benevolent dictator and we should fork the chain like you know he said that like gavin and or whatever um like so yeah in that context i think it's you fall from grace when you abandon your principles not really when you just when you die from them <laughs> like well, like when you when you uh you know fall on the sword for your principles which i think is the more safe route at
6: least as yeah. i know him now yeah i think so too yeah, what courses? Where, I mean, I'm where'd sorry. you sign for the courses, by
0: the way? All of a sudden, I feel like Safedine should pay me for this shout-out.
4: <laughs> be an affiliate.
0: An affiliate that he doesn't even know that I'm taking his courses so they just download the links. But um, Holy shit. Uh, yeah, if you just go to his website, just go to like safedine.com or whatever and then click on um, Academy. He's got a, a micro and a macroeconomics course, and I think he's got another one lined up for next fall. But um, best money I've ever spent, man. It's it's been not broken. Dude, it's it's so rewarding just to get a person's real feelings on something. Like, when when someone has a really advanced academic knowledge of mathematics and economy – And they mix that together with like, this is how I feel about my wife and fuck you. And like, they just like, they, when someone can, can blend between like a very intellectual, theoretical understanding and and like, (laughs) and the person that pissed them off at the grocery store yesterday, like, and like how they really feel about that, you know, and when someone just, like, free ranges between those two things, that shit's invaluable to me. Mm. You know, that that's, like, because if I only get one of those things and not the other, then it's just, a, you know, it's not, it's just not, um, it's not something I'll pay for, I guess. When someone does both, like, Guy, like, Guy in your podcast, when you, like, range between, like, super theoretical shit and like the personal shit that you're going through, that is like the golden podcast to me. Right.
6: the second it, half, man. Yeah. yeah.
0: If you, if you have one of those and not the other, then like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure that I really did it because that every person deals with that range between, you know, personal mm-hmm. and abstract shit. You know, I think so it's like, that's what we want.
1: I think part of that is just because I don't understand
0: anything
1: if I can't apply it to me, mm-hmm. you know, like, I feel like I have no reference point. If I don't know, if I don't understand how it like is meaningful to me, like, like whatever it is, like my, my mentality of the world or like, you know, what it means to, like, if I don't understand money in relation to to me with it like then I don't like I have no reference point to get what like to, to, to make any sense of the world you know like I feel like all these like any model or anything that doesn't that I can't then derive down like to the individual it's like I feel like I couldn't apply it to anything it was like like when I first learned that first learned quote unquote calculus My teacher didn't explain it. Like, it was just like, it was just in this situation, this is the math, this is the equation that you're supposed to use to figure it out. And I'm like, why? She didn't know. She had no idea how to do it. She just knew what you were supposed to do when. And if I can't, like, apply a principle down to, like, my own individual life, that's what I feel like. I feel like I'm just memorizing a list of what to do when, but I have no fucking idea why. You know, like like it, it just. I feel like there's no actual understanding if you can't take it to that level. Mm. Like you just memorized something. I don't know. Yeah.
6: No, it makes sense. I mean, the best way to learn actually is <laughs> by teaching someone else. Sometimes that's what they well, that's mm-hmm. what they say. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Dude, I I could go on forever about calculus and time time and space and rate of change and how- dude i might
1: if i was ever taking a calculus course i would like need you as like a tutor or something <laughs> yeah. if i ever felt like learning it at some point because my calculus <laughs> teachers were all garbage man i hated yeah. it they didn't understand shit. i would ask questions and they'd be like this just this, this is where you do that i'm like why
6: why I don't Because they never, never tie it into when you'll actually need it in life yeah or-
1: well, like, I want to figure out how they discovered that that's what they needed. What's right. the logic behind <laughs> why this needs to be here? You know. I
0: don't know. All right, so I, I have an avenue for the Austrian economist to get into calculus and into all the absurdities that, shit. that that Hayek had, and it has to do with time preference, and it has okay. to do with time. Um, so. So in time preference theory of Austrian economists, they take time as this kind of objective thing, mm-hmm. you know? And so, well, let's let's just talk about what time is. Um, is time the same thing for every person? What, one, one way of saying that time is the same for every person is to say that it's a continuous thing. Okay. Is that it's, that it's this continuous measurement that is an objective observable thing for every human. If you say this, then you have automatically entered yourself into the world of calculus. Um, If you don't admit that time is something that can be agreed upon between two people, then you are in a completely different world. Like you're in this kind of like world of ordinal, Perception of time and one second for one person is two seconds for another person, and then the concept of time preference breaks down because time preference itself is something that's objective. If you, if you want to have an objective, it's dependent. Um, yeah. If, if you everybody want everybody having the same interpretation of right. forward, it, and backward, and <laughs> right. Yeah. If you want the word time preference to mean something then you're hoping for some common understanding of the word time preference. And if, yeah. you go, if you go in the direction of common understanding of things, you're going in the direction of like calculus. Uh, so uh, I, obviously this is not like a very well thought out opinion, of mine, but, <laughs> but like, like if I was going to, Like start talking about the philosophy of how how Austrian economics and Hayek connects with people like Newton and Kant and people who think Mm -hmm. deeply about what time means. Like that's that's the route I would go in. Interesting. Yeah,
4: I
1: feel like if you taught me calculus, it would be interesting and I would enjoy it. I hate calculus.
0: No, probably not because the whole time you would be like, I'm not sure that that reality is a differential <laughs> equation <laughs> and, like, and like all of calculus depends on these equations and the fact that time and space are um, continuous substances. Like, well, as
1: long as it's consistent, as long as it's consistent oh, it's, with it's, that <laughs> and
0: I can derive things
1: from it, I can follow the logic, <laughs> then I would find it fascinating. Even if I thought it was wrong, okay. I might still okay. find the idea fascinating.
0: Okay. It is absolutely fascinating, so long as you kind of like agree to this assumption of the continuous nature of time and space. Like, if time and space. I can put those glasses on for a little while, (laughs) wear those sunglasses and look at the world. And that, like, humans have the almighty only um, comprehension of time and space. Like, if there's an animal that perceives time and space differently than us, you have to just like say fuck that animal we know the right interpretation of time and space <laughs> like so so long so, yeah, so so long what about you, aliens yeah exactly right <laughs> it's just like all of science is based on physics i don't i can't believe i'm in this conversation now but all of <laughs> science all of science is based on physics and all of physics is based on differential equations applied to the continuous nature of time and space and this applies to string theory this applies to the big bang theory this applies to quantum mechanics this applies to everything if there's an animal that doesn't experience time and space in the same way that we do none none of any science none of any physics (laughs) none of any equations applies to any of that shit (laughs) and so it's like you have to say that the human perception of time and space is the only perception of time and space. It's like Interesting. That's uh, that's kind of like the foundation. Is it perception? Is it perception or experience?
1: Well like like interaction. Wouldn't it be interaction rather than Yeah, like, it'd be yeah rather than be. just how we perceive it, you know? Cuz obviously I can see green yeah. and you can see blue, but that wouldn't change reality.
0: It's the right the experience. It's, yeah okay yeah it's like it's not only your observation of it but actually your communication of your observation to someone else Mm
1: -hmm. yeah like it's influence in in the quote-unquote real is that our real whatever that is and no matter how we see it or interpret it or what color we think it is or call or call it um that it is roughly it is essentially the same for us both Um, right
0: exactly okay and that's, gotcha. I mean, that's cool. I mean, anyway, I mean. This Do you is believe the, that? Well, this is for when, <laughs> this is for when we have the Bitcoin University and we get into like the philosophical aspect of that stuff. But mm-hmm. um, I yeah, I personally, I believe it's best to assume um, that when I'm talking to someone else about what I observe and my ability to represent like what I observe, that, um, a common understanding is possible that like yeah the other person can identify with with what i'm saying and that if we were to observe the same thing like we would have like a very similar representation of it and if like mm-hmm. if you if you don't assume that then all of communication becomes very difficult
1: yeah uh, that's the that's the funny thing is that like what you're doing is like, like if you don't make that assumption, like going into it, like, and dealing with the world and dealing with other people, well, then there's no solution to that. Right. That's literally just saying there is no communication that can be made. There is no cooperation that can be made. So you're just giving up on doing anything. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, like exactly. there's, there's, there's no alternative. It's just the fact that the, the best case scenario we have is to simply fucking assume that there's an objective reality and that we can all, get along in, in that context.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That was a big switch for me actually. Cause I I think a lot of people that are very, um, uh, intellectual are also very skeptical and they want to like question everything. Uh, but I got to the point where I had to question that, right? Like Mm -hmm. whether me and someone else could observe the same thing and whether we could mean the same thing by what we say. And, if you question that, or if I question that, then like, what's the point of reading or writing or speaking or like, what's what's the point of anything? So yeah, I so that that's another point where I kind of want to get to the Austrian economicists' opinion about just agreement about uh, yeah, we we can all have our own interpersonal experience of some things but at some point we have to believe that another person agrees with us and like sees the same thing and like mm-hmm. me- means yeah that's the- interesting means the same thing by words um,
1: yeah i mean the, there's there's no such thing as like if we don't have the same idea of reality there's no way for us to come to agreement on anything we sign a contract and we both see entirely different things we are it, it's reliant on the fact that we have a shared reality um, for any agreement to make sense in the same way that like for us to make an agreement or have a conversation that actually communicates anything we have to have the same understanding of what the words mean
4: you know right.
1: otherwise we're both just making a whole bunch of weird freaking noises and <laughs> it doesn't mean yeah. anything to the other person. Um, <laughs> right. uh, so yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting.
0: Yeah, man. Ha- Hayek has totally changed my world with his. Dude, I love Hayek, man. He's, I a, mean, he's the guy's brilliant. Jesus. I mean, his, uh, man, that, that honestly, that was the connection that I've been looking for from my, journey from like math and physics to Austrian economics was like some guy like Hayek who just pointed out that like the problem is the difference between models and reality. Like the Mm -hmm. problem is that like we don't know things and we can make models of things. And then the thing that I missed was his emphasis on we use price to reflect our knowledge and belief of things and then that is what gets communicated to reality but like the bigger deal is that no one knows yeah um, the, the price is a responsive mechanism
1: so to to assume it, it's it's reactionary to transmit information so right. to presume there is a good price or a bad price or the right price or the wrong price is to presume you know a reality that only the price can actually tell you. Um, and so you're you're putting the cart before the horse. <laughs> uh, it just, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's like saying, it's like saying, it's like measuring the temperature. I'm thinking that if you dictate the temperature, that will make that will make it change as to whether or not it's hot or cold. It's like you know you're changing the number. Like you want the temperature to respond to the environment. Um, and if it gets hot really, really fast, you should be looking for why, not getting angry at the thermometer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that, dude. You're that one. I can't remember what it was when you were talking about. Like, we're trying to figure out who's the basketball team, but. We can't trust the scoreboard. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That was a fun one. I can't. Yeah, that was a great one. Yeah.
1: We need to know who the hell's good at basketball.
0: We have no idea because the scoreboard just isn't trustworthy. The scoreboard's just
1: arbitrary ass numbers, just going all (laughs) over the place.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. All right, man. I've gone way too deep into the weeds right now, and we're like three (laughs) hours holy crap are we yeah i'm probably
1: I'm painting late tonight i'm gonna be done with this soon i'll show you all i got a video that i'm putting together um that's actually why i wanted like a clip of the other uh the other night we did this because i think i'm gonna have like a little uh a little break in the video but i've got time lapse of all of this stuff um to actually put in the room together and when we move back in here uh, i think i might do a Throw of throw a video together of all of this
0: cool man yeah
1: i have i have literally like 60 hours of me working on the house and time <laughs> lapse and <laughs> uh just video and pictures like before after shots and i've not done anything with them
0: since we bought this house i've been doing this for like three years sweet so, all right yeah. well um yeah man let me know what you hear about the have any conversations <laughs> all right yeah i'll keep all you updated right. in One of our
1: one of our mini telegrams.
0: Yeah, sweet. All right, I'm gonna sign off here. Talk to you later. Coin
4: Packet's still on?
0: Nah, he's gone. Everybody's gone. Okay. I'm in. Take care. Catch you later. Yeah. Bye.